1: Our next category sports. Um, we need to stress to all of our nominees it's not a competition, even though it's sports. No,
2: it's not a competition. It's a fan-voted podcast, but I know that my podcast, Talk is Jericho, has been nominated for this, and if I don't really? win, well, then that's just not right because there's no other podcast that's better in this category than my podcast, even though this is not a competition. How can I not take this as a podcast competition? It's a competition. Steve Austin, he's not going to win. Roddy Piper, he's not going to win. Dan Patrick, that's like Okay, your nominees bench, are a- making
1: me do this chill
3: out. It's all good. Good, okay, nominee sports.
1: ESPN Fantasy Focus Football.
3: Talk is Jericho. Woo! Solo Monsters Sounds Off. ibnv yeah! The Steve Austin Show Unleashed.
2: And the winner is Talk is Jericho! Yeah. What? That's true, actually, sorry he made that up. It's Solo Monsters Sound Off. Woo! I did it! And I have nobody to thank! i did it all by my sweet little self i knew it i'm a winner i did it Woo!
1: it's business time baby the solid monster sounds off
2: my client brock lesnar conquered the street this doesn't make any sense your title belt is made of leather you're not a real vegan
1: he's fat you haven't been beat up properly Yes, you heard it there. We won. We won for Best Sports Show at the Podcast Awards. Actually, we didn't. I just thought, what a great way to pay homage to Owen Hart. No, we lost out to ESPN Fantasy Focus Football. Damn ESPN. At least I can rest easy knowing that Jericho and Austin both lost also to ESPN. That's not bad company to be in, you know? But seriously, thank you to everybody who voted for the sound off. Uh, Just to be nominated and make it all the way to the finals is huge. And it's been an incredible year so far for the show, so let's keep it going. In fact, it was pointed out to me by the gang at Wrestling Soup, who you should also be listening to, that we are back atop the sports charts on Stitcher, number one. And we're also back in the top 100 shows on all of Stitcher. It's not too shabby, so... Keep streaming us on Stitcher, because every time you do so, it helps the show out. As you can tell, it has paid off. You can download the new Podbean app. It is free in the App Store if you have an iPhone. Uh, Really, I think any iOS device. Maybe not iPad. They might be working on a separate version for iPad. But there is a brand new Podbean app for iOS. You can stream the sound off as one of the podcasts in that app. Of course, we have our own dedicated app in the Google Play Store. If you have an Android device, you can download it for free and there. And you can keep streaming the show on Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Audio Boom. You can subscribe in iTunes. Lots of different ways to get this podcast. So if one way isn't working, if you're trying to get the show through Podbean, it's not working, too much traffic, there's at least three or four other ways to do it. Sometimes it may not be as simple as you would like, but I ask you, please, if one way doesn't work, there's a lot of other ways you can get the show. Sometimes the traffic is just such that It doesn't work right away, so you just got to be a little bit patient. You can use our Audible URL to support the podcast. A lot of different ways you could support this show. This is maybe the easiest way, and it really doesn't cost you anything, unless you want it to. You can sample the Audible service. They offer 150,000 audiobooks for you to choose from you can listen to them on the go at home however wherever whenever you want to it's a 30-day trial which means you can cancel at any time you won't get billed if you really like it you can stick with it beyond the 30 days and then they'll charge you Uh, but all you got to do is use our URL you sign up you sample it you give it a shot for a day a week a month whatever as long as it's in that 30-day period you can cancel any time you can cash in one free audiobook, and you get to keep that audiobook whether you stick with it long-term or not. We are effectively giving you a free audiobook. You have absolutely nothing to lose. Just use our URL to sign up, audibletrial.com slash Punch that in first. That'll take you to the main page. It'll register our code, uh, but that's not enough. You've got to go through the sign-up process, and then you can cash in your free audiobook, and that's when... Uh, The podcast has helped. I think there are people who think that just by clicking on the link or punching in that URL, they're helping the show. You're not. (laughs) You're not helping the show at all if you go to the link but don't follow through and actually sign up. So we could have 200 clicks in a given week on that URL, but if three people actually sign up, it means nothing. So please, audibletrial.com slash Salamonster. Go ahead, follow through, sign up and uh, cash in your free audiobook, and it kicks a little something back to the sound off, so it's a win-win for everybody. You can also make a direct PayPal donation to support the podcast. You can do that on thesolomonster.com. You'll see the PayPal box on the right-hand side. $10 or more will get you a wrestling nickname and a shout-out. $30 or more, you can get that same nickname and shout-out, plus... A brief plug for your own podcast if you have one. Just make sure you include that information when you make the donation. Thank you this week to Nathan Monday Night Raleigh, Out of Control Cody Thomas, Dennis Can't Stop Me Now Cats, Lord Lexington Paul Gregory, Guilty as Charged Mark Court, Deadpool James Herrera, Doomsday Donde Page, Charismatic Christian Jones, The Dallas Destroyer Alexis Garcia, rough rider khalil jones guts and glory eric gutierrez and the Widowmaker joshua owen thank you all for making a donation to this very podcast this week again you can do so on the it is still the most direct way to show your support for the solomonster sounds off and please consider buying a shirt in our store prowrestlingtees.com slash solomonster sounds off we've got nearly 20 different t-shirt designs up in that store we have up to a size 5xl on all of those shirts and they ship all over the world so prowrestlingteescom Sounds off get your sound off shirt that way the next time you go to a monday night raw or an nxt or a lucha underground or a i was going to say tna but fewer and fewer people seem to be doing that these days but wherever you go you can show your support for the sound off in shirt form I I had a chance to watch the Alberto El Patron U-shoot that he taped uh, late last year. This was right after he had reached settlement with WWE and basically stopped talking crap about them. So he sat down with Sean Oliver for about 90 minutes. Uh, Really good interview. You know, I I would do a fuller review of the entire thing like on YouTube or something, but there really isn't much to say. Uh, He was very diplomatic on a lot of questions. He was not dishing a lot of dirt at all. Um, so some people may be turned off by that, they may not want to sit there for 90 minutes listening to somebody who's not going to talk crap about people. I think it was, in a lot of ways, I haven't seen it, but I I heard like the shoots that um, uh, Ricardo Rodriguez has done, he's a lot more open as far as outing people, and I mean, outing people in terms of just stuff that was going on, and different incidents, and how they treated people, Uh, you know, Alberto was a lot more diplomatic, and kind of closer to the vest about things, but he just comes off as the nicest guy in the world. I think that's the big impression you're left with when this is over. This is a guy who is a businessman, and he wants to do what's right for his family. He's a family man. He said, you know, that was one of the reasons he said when his contract was, was going to come due at WWE, he wasn't planning on resigning." Now, who's to say? You know, if they waved a bunch of money in his face, he might have had second thoughts. But he said, listen, I was out of the company anyway because when my contract was up, I wasn't going to resign. I was on the road 300 days a year. I love how wrestlers, by the way, they exaggerate those those numbers. I don't think he was on the road 300 days a year. It might have felt like 300 days to him, but he was on the road a lot. He was away from his family, so he wasn't planning on coming back anyway. The whole incident happened with the social media clown who made a racist comment. He went up to him, and he does talk about this. He says, I went up to the guy. He goes, I never gave this guy any reason to think that we were friends, so I don't know why he would make a comment like that to me. I went up to him face-to-face, I would said, apologize, and he reenacted the smirk that the guy uh, flashed on his face. The guy smirked at him instead of apologizing, and Del Rio says, that's when I lost it, and I just slapped the shit out of him. And I think one of the questions that Sean Oliver uh, passed along, it was the u so people submit questions, but... He was asked, uh, have you talked to any of the other boys, like the other top stars? Uh, Did they show their support for you? Would they have done the same thing in in their shoes? Did they tell you that? He's like, of course, absolutely. They would have done the exact same thing. Uh, And it is a double standard because, you know, Del Rio does it. There's a lot of fallout from it. And he ends up getting fired. Were that Randy Orton, would the same thing have happened? Would Randy Orton have been fired from the company for the same thing? I think not. So obviously, there's a double standard there. If somebody like Cena or Orton had snapped and did the same thing. I'm not saying they wouldn't have gotten fined. Not saying they wouldn't have been suspended, maybe for a week or or something like that. But would they have been fired? Would they have lost their job over the whole thing? Of course not. So he does talk a lot about you know that that sort of thing, and uh, it was it was a good interview. I liked it. I enjoyed it, and you just come away from it thinking this guy. He's pretty cool. You know, I would make comments about Del Rio a lot towards the end of his run in WWE, how, how boring he was. I just, I don't know, I just found the character very boring. And I think a lot of that may have had to do with, you know, they turned him babyface, which he says in the interview he hated. Which I knew, because he had done interviews before that saying, I never want to go babyface. If I could be a heel for the rest of my career, I would be. And then they turned to babyface. And at first, it kind of, sort of worked. I still remember, you know, one of the better matches on SmackDown in the last few years was that Last Man Standing match he had with Big Show, when he won the World Heavyweight Title and the place went nuts. I, I think, um, I think Brian Blade and, uh, and Webmaster Mike were at that taping, but that was—I mean—that was a big deal when that happened. But after that, it was just like all the way down. It just came crashing down, and the guy just wasn't over. He just wasn't over. So then they turned him heel again. But they stripped him of his whole identity. You know, even in the interview, he says, I don't know why they took the cars away from me. I don't know why they took Ricardo away from me. I never wanted to break away from Ricardo. He says, Vince loved the act. It was somebody else. He wouldn't name who the person was. So he didn't say if it was Triple H or some creative writer. Somebody did not like Ricardo and had it out for Ricardo. But it ended up, you know, affecting both guys because that, that act, it just worked so well you take away the cars, you take away Ricardo, you know, his personal ring announcer. Now you just have Del Rio, and that's it. And he's he's a really good wrestler, but so what, right? There's got to be more to it than just that. And so the character, it was just boring, you know, and that that's how I honestly felt about it. But you listen to Del Rio, the guy in this interview, and he comes across like a straight shooter. And uh, just somebody you'd want to hang out with. So anyway, if you have a chance to check it out, I would say it's worth it. Just don't go into it thinking that this guy's going to be dishing dirt like you might find in some other shoot interviews. Although they did do the the old fuck Mary kill thing, and it was uh, Vicky Guerrero, Rosa Mendez, and uh, some other uh, Latina from the from the WWE. WD- Maybe it was AJ, it was somebody else. But anyway, without hesitation, it was like kill Rosa Mendez. I'm like that sounds about right my kind of guy uh, let's talk about Daniel Bryan this is not so funny Daniel Bryan was pulled early from WWE's UK tour uh, There, I believe everybody is home now I think the tour is officially over but he was pulled after the Smackdown tapings on Tuesday WWE put out a statement that said Daniel Bryan has been pulled from the remainder of the UK tour for precautionary measures uh, I've been seeing a lot of Angry messages from people over the last couple of weeks about how Brian, you know, he hasn't wrestled a match on Raw since I think the night after WrestleMania, and just blaming WWE for not utilizing him. You do realize that in interviews leading up to WrestleMania, Brian himself said that he went to WWE and practically begged them to make him the face of SmackDown. You know, there's a reason why Brian has been more of a SmackDown guy than a Raw guy in recent weeks it's because he asked for it he wanted it he probably still has that mentality he thinks of like edge back in the day when edge carried the smackdown brand on his back although there was an actual brand split still back then there really there is no brand split now but he wanted to take smackdown and try to elevate smackdown and and help that show out that's something he specifically asked for himself You know, it's not WWE trying to hide him away so that he stops taking shears away from Roman Reigns or whatever conspiracy theory people are trying to come up with. Uh, Now, as far as they pulled him from the tour, if it is an injury that he's dealing with, and I'm sure it is, that's why they pulled him, we don't know what the injury is. Everyone is just assuming, oh, it's his neck. First of all, his neck is fine. I, I think that's another misconception that people have. You know, his neck is fine. The operation he had last year was was almost a year ago, actually. It was a year ago in May. It was an operation, I believe, on his neck. But whatever that issue was, that took care of it. The issue that he was dealing with after that, and may still be dealing with now, is a nerve issue. I think it actually has to do with the elbow, not the neck. So his neck is fine, or as fine as a neck can be when you're taking stupid bumps the way that he is on the back of his head. Um. But we don't know. We don't know if it's that nerve issue all over again. Because, again, he had that operation. or I shouldn't say operation. He actually didn't have an operation. He wanted to. And they kept putting it off and saying, no, you don't need it. You don't need surgery. You don't need surgery. He ended up finding that, that doctor in uh, Colorado, I think, somewhere, who did something. And it worked. But then it, it wasn't working anymore. He went back to the guy, had the procedure done again. And he seemingly has been okay ever since. It allowed him to come back to the ring. He got strength and feeling back in his arm. So is this a case where he's losing strength and feeling again? Is there pain? Does it have anything to do with the elbow and the nerve? We don't know. WWE didn't say in their statement. He could just be banged up for all we know. Now I know he got his head split open in a match on SmackDown against Sheamus a few weeks ago. And ever since then, I don't know that he's wrestled a single one-on-one match since that injury at the hands of Sheamus he's been in tag team matches on TV he's been in tag team matches at the house shows he doesn't have to take any bumps you know, I've read that he may have suffered a concussion from Sheamus I don't know if that's confirmed or not but I read that as well all I know is, you know, Brian is a crazy man he's an absolute crazy man those bumps he took on Raw against Luke Harper before WrestleMania, remember that match where Luke Harper was just throwing him around like a rag doll He's out of his freaking mind. I'm not even blaming Luke Harper. That's Daniel Bryan's fault. <laughs> the guy is out of his mind. He just doesn't have an off switch, you know. He's like Kurt Angle. No half speed. He only knows one way. And look at Kurt. I mean, I guess hey, Kurt's still wrestling. He's the freaking champion in TNA. So what do I know? Every time I look at Kurt Angle, I hurt. I can only imagine how he he must feel. I still worry about Kurt Angle. I don't, Kurt Angle it's one of those things I can't seem to shake it you know Kurt Kurt tells everybody he's feeling great he's he is wrestling he wrestles at a reasonably high level still he's the champion you know again everything he says he's doing fine he posts pictures on his instagram with him and his kids all the time everything seems to be great with with Kurt Angle but there's just something about the guy I, I don't know I worry about him I worry he's not being entirely forthcoming I know Kurt Angle, not not being completely honest. What a what a what a shock! But um, anyway, let's hope Daniel Bryan does not end up like like Kurt Angle. So depending on how hurt he really is, there's a chance, a very good chance that Bad News Barrett could walk out of Extreme Rules with the title. You know that is if Bryan's even well enough to have a match at Extreme Rules. If that happens, you know this this would be the second year in a row. They put a title on Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania only for him to end up hurt a few weeks later.
2: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs)
0: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were
2: getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes
1: that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: And it's just a really shitty situation. We don't know. We don't know if he'll even be able to wrestle, if he'll be cleared to wrestle. Extreme rules is only a couple of weeks away. As of today, I think it's exactly two weeks away. So without knowing exactly what the injury is, if there's an injury, is it just an accumulation of being beat up and and worn down, We, we don't know for sure. Everything is just up in the air at this point. But I hope that it's nothing serious related to the to the nerve, to the elbow thing again, because if it is, you know, you hate to think about retirement, but People were talking about retirement last year when they couldn't figure out what the hell was wrong with the guy. Then he just so happened to find this doctor, out of nowhere, that seemed to patch him up and everything was okay. Kind of reminded me, I mean, speaking of Kurt Angle, it kind of reminded me of Dr. Joe. Remember Dr. Joe in Pittsburgh back in, what was it, 2003? After WrestleMania 19, Kurt was supposed to go away. He was going to be gone for a year. He was going to get his neck fixed. Kurt Angle had no business even being in that main event of WrestleMania. If they had a wellness policy and they were strict about things then as they are today, Kurt Angle would have been out of the WrestleMania main event. But he did the match. It turned out to be Brock Lesnar who almost broke his neck. Not Kurt. And Kurt found this doctor who said, Hey, listen, I can get you back in the ring within two months. And he had this procedure done. And I think within two or three months, Kurt Angle was back on TV. It was like it was a miracle. It's a miracle. Kurt Angle is back. And then one chair shot is all it took from Brock Lesnar. And this was back when they were doing chair shots to the head, full on, and Kurt wouldn't put his hands up, I'm sure. One chair shot from Brock Lesnar to the top of Kurt Angle's skull undid whatever the hell that doctor did. (laughs) His neck was all fucked up again. So you just wonder, you know, what was this procedure that Brian had done exactly? We don't know. It's a lot of questions. And I wonder... But uh, let, let's hope retirement is not in the cards here because he still has a long time. I think, you know, look, Brian's a guy who can have another 10 years if he can stay healthy. So for his career to be over, I mean, that would just be completely shitty. And it would be shitty for WWE because it'd be another top name that they would lose. So let's hope this isn't an edge situation all over again. Steve Austin in WWE, I wanted to talk about this in this week's I Told You So Story of the Week, just to follow up on... The Austin stuff from episode 378. Uh, PW Insider again was on top of things here and said that despite public denials, there are still issues between Steve Austin and WWE. More from the WWE side. That's exactly what I said last week. All the people who heard Austin on his podcast say no heat, everything's cool, and everyone's like, "Well, see the dirt sheets, right?" And I, I said, I said last week. Everything may be cool on Austin's end. He may think everything's all hunky-dory, but from WWE's end, that's not the case. Now we find out that after WrestleMania, WWE sent a cease-and-desist letter to ProWrestlingTees.com, which is home to Steve Austin's online store, as well as our own Monster Sounds Off store. Just FYI. you like how I I snuck that in there, right? It's kind of, you know, anyway. Uh... So they pulled several items from Austin's store as a result. Now Austin claims, don't worry, people are tweeting him. He's like, don't worry, they're going to go back up soon. But they pulled them. WWE complained, they pulled the items, and uh, PW Insider in their report also said that John Cena, suddenly using the springboard stunner in his matches, may be WWE's way of trying to get under Austin's skin. Uh, First time Cena ever used it was at WrestleMania, which is where they expected Austin to be. Remember, he did not show up. They had a locker room with his name on it backstage. Austin never set foot inside that locker room. So, I mean, time-wise, as far as when Cena suddenly started using this move, after how many years in the company has John Cena had? From the day he debuted, what, 13 years? He's been the top star for, what, 10 of those 13 years, probably? And uh, he's not exactly known for his, his, uh, his great moveset. All of a sudden, he busts out this new move at WrestleMania that we've never seen him do before. The timing could not possibly make more sense than it does. Uh, I did listen to Austin's latest podcast where he talked about the move. He hadn't commented on it, and so he finally did. He didn't seem angry about it. It was more him being upset that they, they blew the move off as nothing in the match with Rusev instead of using it as a finish to get over the idea that it's just another move John Cena can bust out to win his matches. Instead, in every match... Like every one of these matches we've seen him in this open challenge on Raw, he uses it as a setup move to the AA. So nobody will ever really buy the fact that he can win a match with it because it's already been established as a setup move and not as a finish. That really is the only issue that Austin had with the move. And it wouldn't shock me at all if that's exactly why WWE had Cena start doing it. It wasn't just some bright idea that John Cena came up with on his own. It was, hey, why don't you try this and start incorporating this into your matches. Because I can absolutely believe that WWE would be that petty. I mean, consider who we're dealing with here. (laughs) Okay, and the petty things they've done before. So anyway, things are not well. No matter what Austin may think, things are clearly not well. Or as well as they should be between him and WWE. All of this, by the way, doesn't matter. Like I said on the show last week, give it six months or less. They'll be back on the same page. Austin will be at WrestleMania next year. He won't be wrestling, but he'll be on the card. Everything will be fine. They'll work this out. They always do. It's just a bunch of petty nonsense. And and clearly it's petty nonsense from WWE's end, not Austin. Austin doesn't seem to give a shit or is completely oblivious to it because he doesn't care. And somebody sent me a tweet the other day asking me, why are there always issues? Or why does there tend to be issues every now and then between Austin and WWE? You know why do, why do things like this happen and my response was very simple my response was because Austin does not give a shit he doesn't care unlike a lot of other people Austin, if he has a relationship with WWE, great if he doesn't have a relationship with WWE I honestly don't think he cares he's got his own thing going on He'll, he's got his own movies he's got his own reality shows he's got his own podcast he has his own thing He doesn't need WWE. WWE needs him, I think, more than the other way around. Because he's one of the biggest names they've ever had. And they can make a ton of money off him. But Austin's in this unique position where he was the biggest star. He saved his money. Guy's probably still a millionaire many times over, I'm guessing. So he's in this unique position where he doesn't have to take their shit like other people would. If there's something he doesn't like, he's going to tell you. I don't like this. I think this is stupid. So that's what I like about Austin. You know, he tells it like it is. He doesn't take crap from anybody. And that includes WWE and Vince McMahon. If Vince wants him to say sports entertainment, he'll say, fuck you, it's pro wrestling. That's what I like about Austin. And that's why there tends to be issues every now and then that pops up. Because he doesn't just take their shit. He doesn't just say, yes sir, yes sir. He'll be like, no, I'm not going to do that. And that rubs them the wrong way because they're not used to hearing that. They're not used to hearing the word no. They don't tend to like that very much. Speaking of no, that's a great segue. Somebody who said no to WWE, the Briscoes. Jay and Mark, they are staying with Ring of Honor. They signed a new deal, each of them, to stay with the company for another two years. There were a lot of rumors lately that they might be on their way to NXT. Uh, WWE had made them an offer, and they have, in fact turned down that offer and have chosen to stay with their home company and i say good for them good for them they've got a, a chicken farm they've got a landscaping business outside of their ring of honor stuff or in addition to their ring of honor stuff they don't need wwe those are two guys that also don't need wwe had they gone there they probably would have made them bushwhackers 2.0 you know bushwhackers were a vicious team back in the day everywhere they went they were a vicious tag team Their matches were just bloody spectacles. They went to WWE and what happened? They became kiddie characters. Nothing wrong with that. They got a Hall of Fame induction out of it. But I would hate to see those characters, I call them characters, I mean, by all accounts the Briscoes, you know, they're not really characters. I mean, they are what you, what you see is what you get. That's how they really are in real life. But I would hate to see them turn those guys into a parody or into a cartoon. You know, Briscoes are a violent team just like the Bushwhackers were when they were the Sheepherders. And I feel like they would have followed that same blueprint had they gone to WWE. At least under Vince McMahon. Maybe not under Triple H. Under Triple H, maybe he would have let them be a little more true to who they are. Under Vince, absolutely, they would have been turned into cartoon characters. I have no doubt about that. So I say good for them. And good for ROH. That's a a big deal, being able to keep those two guys. You know, Jay Briscoe is still the Ring of Honor champion. So how much longer he'll hold the title for? I mean, he could hold the title now for another two years if they want him to. He's had a hell of a reign. There was interest in signing the Briscoes a few years back. They probably would have gone, I think, at that time to WWE if I had to take a guess. But Jay went and made those homophobic comments on his Twitter that got him into a lot of trouble. And uh, the company's interest pretty much cooled off at that point. That was when he said... Basically, the comment was, Delaware had just passed a bill making it okay for same-sex couples to get married. And he went on Twitter and mentioned that and said, If you try to teach my kids there's nothing wrong with that, I'll fucking shoot you. Or something to that effect. It was stupid. You know, even if that's what you honestly believe, you're entitled to believe whatever you want. You don't go on a public forum and say something like that and not expect to get heat for it. And he did, and Ring of Honor even forced him to apologize. He's lucky he didn't lose his job over it. It was stupid. It was a stupid thing for him to say. Had he not said that, history might have played out a little bit differently. But right now, they're in a position where they don't need WWE. They made them a a, a pretty good NXT offer from all the reports. They would have gone to NXT. They went back to Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor made them a better offer. They went to WWE and said, listen, can you top this offer? And they said, no, we're not willing to go higher than this. And that's when they said, well, fuck it, we're not going. I love it. I wish more people would do that. WWE, probably they're not used to that. To them, they're the end-all, be-all. People grow up, they watch WWE, they dream of one day being a WrestleMania and being a top star in WWE. So I think a lot of times people can get clouded by that, even if it's not in their best interest to maybe go to WWE and they could do better elsewhere. They go anyway. And I'm not begrudging people for it. Look at Kenta. Kenta was a top star in Japan, making good money. And he left that and his family thousands of miles away for the unknown. Who the hell knows if he'll ever make it to the main event of WrestleMania? Who the hell knows how Vince McMahon's going to book that guy when he makes the main roster? I mean, I can only imagine. His track record with a lot of these international guys and the Asian guys, not exactly good. But he, he's just felt like, I have to do this. I have to take that chance. So far, so good. I'm happy for the guy. Again, that episode last week of NXT, I became, I was already a big uh, Hideo Itami fan. I became an even bigger fan. I want to see that guy succeed. I want to see him do well. Finn Balor's another one. He could have done very well for himself just staying as Prince Devitt on the Indies and the Bullet Club in New Japan and all that stuff, make good money and just have a great career and go out there and have great matches every night. He said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm not getting any younger. i got to give this a shot. i got to see if I can do it. And I think he will end up being a big star. He, he just has something that they would be complete fools for not taking advantage of that and doing something major with that guy. I mean, you talk about fucking people up. If they find a way to fuck up Finn Balor, then Vince McMahon deserves to have his promoter's license revoked. There's probably a lot of other reasons why he deserves to have his promoter's license revoked. But uh, that would certainly be one of them. So people just, you know, they, they feel a certain way. And sometimes they let their heart control and dictate what they, what they end up doing. In this case, the Briscoes made a business decision. I think it's the right one. And I think uh, Ring of Honor really is the big beneficiary for it. And it's a WWE's loss. God knows they could use some good tag teams right now. Monday Night Raw was live, lo- well, not live. I guess live to tape. From London, England at the O2 Arena this past week, a largely forgettable show. Michael Cole was back at the announce desk showing no ill effects whatsoever of the supposed bulging disc in his neck, and when questioned about a possible lawsuit against Brock Lesnar, JBL was asking him questions about it, he just refused to talk about it, which is basically their way of saying, this storyline is now over. Last thing we need is another lawsuit storyline on uh, WWE TV anyway, so it's probably better off. John Cena and Wade Barrett opened the show, opened challenge match for the United States Championship, U.S. title match in jolly old England. They had a good match. Uh, Barrett even got to kick out of the AA, which got a nice reaction in his home country. He was total babyface here. Cena was absolutely hated. Barrett was beloved. No big surprise there. Unfortunately, since Barrett got to kick out of the AA... That meant that Cena got to kick out of the Bullhammer, which I hated. I hated that. I know everyone kicks out of everyone else's finish. That's the thing to do these days. But for some reason, this just made me angry. I was angry when I saw that. That's been built up as this devastating finish that just knocks out whoever gets hit with it. Bryan's been knocked out with it. Ziggler's been knocked out with it. It should be protected. The AA has been abused time after time after time. Everyone's kicked out of it. I mean, it's a fucking fireman's carry, for Christ's sake. The Bullhammer, he should have just missed it if they were going to do that. Just don't even hit the move. Go for it and miss it. But Wade's a lifetime mid Carter, so I guess it doesn't matter. Cena won with the AA anyway after a poor attempt at a springboard stunner, and he retained the U.S. title. Now, before the match... John Cena did his typical shtick where he sucks up to the fans to try to get in their good graces. He did the same thing with the UK crowd. And he said, I may get in trouble for saying this, har, 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 as if, but London deserves a WrestleMania. So, of course, the place went crazy. They did yes chance. You could cheer all you want, people. You're not getting it. At least not in this decade. I'm not even sure why he said that, because they're not getting WrestleMania. <laughs> Not not in the next several years anyway, so why he would even make a comment like that other than to suck up blatantly, I don't know. After the match, Lana walked out on stage without Rusev, so Lana is back. And apparently no signs of any kind of distress between them, which is which is for the better. I was very worried they were going to break these two up. And I guess they just dropped that whole thing all. That's their thing now, they just drop things. It's like, we're not supposed to remember this happened, we're not supposed to remember that happened... Just never happened. Kind of like SmackDown. So she didn't come out with Rusev. Cena was waiting for him to come out. He ended up attacking Cena from behind. Zangief blindsided Cena with a chain. I'm sorry, the dude looks more and more like Zangief from Street Fighter every time I see him. So at Extreme Rules, they will have a Russian chain match. Where they will be bound together by a chain. The first person to touch all four corners will win the match. Last chain match I remember on a WWE pay-per-view would have probably been Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. And they had like a biker chain match. I think it was No Mercy back in 03. I think in that one the chain was hanging from a pole and it was just a matter of whoever got it could use it as a weapon. Otherwise it was just a basic pinfall submission match. I, I will say one of the better chain matches that I've ever seen WWE do was in 2001. And it involved, of all people, Triple H and Kane. That was where Kane won the Intercontinental title. And then the night after on Raw is when Triple H tore his quad for the first time. In that one, they were joined at the wrist by a long chain and you won by pin or submission. So I guess in this case, it's almost like a strap match where they'll be tied by a chain together, but you got to touch all four turnbuckles to get the win. I guess that might be their way of protecting Rusev... So that he can lose again to John Cena but not get pinned. I'm guessing that's why they're doing this. I mean, they needed a stip anyway, but specifically, that's probably why they're.
3: Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place
2: you've gotten lucky?
3: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Haha, in my dentist's office. actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com
1: no purchase necessary. doing this chain match that way with the four corner stuff by the way to uh follow up on something i tweeted during raw last week not this past monday but the week before about how they announced the tag team match for smackdown with ziggler and brian against barrett and sheamus and i said don't worry it'll be changed within 24 hours remember that Sure enough, they changed it into a six-man tag with Reigns and Big Show added on. Okay, that was the week before. So this week, they announced that John Cena will be on SmackDown to continue his open challenge for the United States Championship. And what happens? They changed it to a tag team match with John Cena and Daniel Bryan against Cesaro and Tyson Kidd. It's, it just—it has to be an inside joke, right? You announce something for SmackDown on Raw the night before... And then you change it the day after. This has happened too many times to be a coincidence. It has to be an inside joke at this point. Paige won a Divas Battle Royal in her home country to become number one contender for Nikki Bella's Divas title. There were eight women in this Battle Royal and it lasted less than four minutes. Three minutes and 57 seconds on the stopwatch to be exact. What a Battle Royal! Came down to Paige and Naomi. Naomi basically eliminated herself after getting kicked in the midsection. She fell down. She rolled under the bottom rope and fell to the floor. She wasn't thrown. She wasn't pushed. She didn't grab the rope and attempt to save herself from both feet touching the floor. Nope, got kicked in the stomach, fell down, rolled out, and she was eliminated. That was it. And then Byron Saxton climbed into the ring after the match to interview the winner and Paige Cut what I thought was a pretty good promo about growing up poor, only making five pounds a match. Using my trusty pounds to dollar calculator, that works out to $7.42 US. That's about what the Divas division is worth these days. Naomi attacked her from out of nowhere like a sore loser, threw her into the barricade a few times, head first, too. Looked uh, quite brutal. And it appears that Paige is not going to be getting a women's championship match after all. Actually, they don't get women's title matches. Excuse me, they don't get women's title matches on this show. They're Divas. You want women, you got to watch NXT or uh, TNA for the knockouts. WWE.com says that Paige is not cleared to compete until further notice. They announced that Paige suffered internal injuries after the attack by Naomi. Again with the stupid exaggerated injuries Internal injuries What uh, internal bleeding? It can't stop the bleeding. She's dying? Is that is that what's happening here? Is she dying? Is that the storyline? Connor in our Facebook group just fainted. Are you happy now, WWE? Look what you've done. So Paige is going away for a while. She's filming a movie with the Miz called Santa's Little Helper. I can't wait to not watch that movie. Although I have to tell you, I am planning on watching the Marine Four. I was not going to do it, but I watched the Marine 3. Okay, Now, I, I saw the first Marine. The first Marine had John Cena in it. It was everything I expected it to be. The second Marine had Ted DiBiase Jr. I never did see that one, so I can't vouch for how good or bad it is. I did see the Marine 3. I just had to see how the Miz, of all people, would be portrayed as a as a veteran here in this movie. And somebody can go back in the archives. I, I couldn't even tell you what episode of the Sound Off it was. It wasn't an extra on YouTube. It was on the Sound Off. I did a little review of the movie. I don't know when. I remember thinking that he actually wasn't so bad. I, I didn't think it was nearly as bad as I thought it would be. So I am therefore willing to give the Marine Four a shot, even though the commercials make it look absolutely horrible. There's a reason in these commercials, by the way, why they don't give away too much. If the movie was really that good, they would give you more. They would show you more scenes. But I am willing to give it a shot, because The Miz actually was not as bad in the third one as I thought he would be. And I want to see how Summer Rae is in this movie. You got a hot chick blowing things up and shooting guns? I'll I'll give it a shot. And if I do watch it this week, I'll do a little uh, mini-review maybe on the Sound Off next weekend. But this Santa's Little Helper, that does not sound like a winner to me. I will will be passing on that one. Although Paige, I don't know, Paige is in the movie? Depends on how big her role in the movie is. I'd have to think about that. Bray Wyatt did another scary backstage promo, still calling himself the new face of fear. New face of fear, huh? So I guess we're just ignoring the fact that The Undertaker beat him at WrestleMania. And pretending that it never happened. Yet another example of WWE trying to make the fans forget that something we saw only a few weeks ago actually did not happen. See, what he should be calling himself is the new face of failure. That rolls off the tongue just as just as well. And it's actually more of an honest representation of uh, Bray Wyatt right now. Something tells me they won't be doing that.
3: And speaking of WrestleMania, a couple of weeks ago, what a matchup between Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar for the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. Well, for the first time since WrestleMania, Roman Reigns talks about the events of that night. First time since WrestleMania. First time, first time, first time. And earlier this week, I got to sit down with the powerhouse, Roman Reigns, who talks about his WrestleMania performance and how focused he is on getting his hands on Seth Rollins.
1: So what you heard there, throughout the show on Monday night, WWE promoted that Roman Reigns would speak tonight for the first time since WrestleMania, ignoring the fact that he was already interviewed on the very first SmackDown after WrestleMania. So consider that this week's installment of If It Happened on SmackDown, It Didn't Happen. Booker T was, in fact, the second black man to interview Roman Reigns after WrestleMania, not the first. Crowd chanted Suplex City at Reigns. I thought he was fine. I thought this was one of the better Roman Reigns interviews I've seen. Big Show popped up on the Titantron talked for so long that people chanted boring at him. Roman made fun of him for not having the balls to come on out after him. Actually, the biggest pop Roman Reigns got was for threatening to retire the Big Show, who later on did get a chance of, please retire. I mean, hell, i popped pop for that. <laughs> Big Show made him pay for that, though, when Roman Reigns went to leave. He got to the top of the ramp, Show came on out and attacked him. He threw him into the side of an English taxi cab that was parked on the stage, and then he climbed on top of the cab. He put Roman up there, and then Big Show climbed on top of the taxi cab, and chokeslam Roman Reigns on top of the uh, car roof. A 40-year-old, 400-pound giant should not be climbing on top of cars. I'm just saying. Randy Orton against Cesaro. There was a lot of chatter online about Cesaro's reaction being edited. When they flashed the graphic on TV showing Orton versus Cesaro, the uh, reaction was really for for Orton. Now, in the building, when they flashed the graphic and they showed Cesaro's face for the first time, the crowd in London popped huge. That's what all the reports said. For what it's worth, I heard from a few people who were at the show who do back up that account and say that when Cesaro came on the screen, people got very loud, and that did not come across on television. So, why do they do this? Why do they do that sort of thing? Because it's their sandbox, and we just planned it. That's it. That's the only reason, because they can. The match ended in two minutes when Tyson Kidd interfered, so Kane came out, he restarted it as a two-on-one handicap match. This was WWE booking 101 here, where you book the babyface in a match against your tag team champions, and you have the tag team champions lose to one person. It was no less idiotic here than it is every other time they do it. Randy Orton has been on the roster for 13, 13 years. 13 years. What did it prove to have him beat the tag team champions? Tell me that. It's like, if you could give me a logical answer on why Randy Orton, of all people, just had to beat the tag team champions here. He just had to. Of all the two people in handicap matches they could have put in the ring with Randy Orton. You know what? If, If you don't want to use the champions, take three guys. Take three scrubs. So that way it's three on one. He's gonna beat them all the same why do they insist on doing this with their champions it's just stupid it is so stupid so Orton gets to pick the stipulation now as per this win for his match with Rollins at Extreme Rules backstage Rollins told Kane he would not be wrestling Dolph Ziggler as scheduled later in the show instead Rollins teased that he would instead wrestle Kane With the idea being that Kane would do the right thing and would lay down so that Rollins can get the pin. And Rollins could also pick the stipulation for his match with Orton at Extreme Rules. Even though Orton had already won the right to pick the stip. Don't ask me. Somewhere in here, Kane threatened to take a car battery to Jamie Noble's testicles. Ah, memories. Sweet, sweet memories. Stardust was right back to mid-card hell one week after wrestling John Cena for the U.S. title. Oh well. At least he won, he beat Fandango, but this was designed to get Fandango over, not Stardust. After the match, Fandango said he realized what was holding him back and he dumped Rosa Mendez and started dancing to his old theme song. Crowd started Fandangoing like it was 2013 all over again and went nuts. Not for Fandango, they went nuts for his music. Make Make no mistake about it, they were not going nuts for Fandango. They just really liked that theme song. Why the hell do they ever bother changing the music in the first place is what I want to know. That never made any sense to me. That's all the guy had. You know, we talked about Del Rio earlier when I was talking about his shoot and how they took away his whole identity. They took away the cars. They took away Ricardo. It's like Damian Sandow. When Damian Sandow was doing his original gimmick and then was doing the Rhodes Scholars with Cody Rhodes, Damien had the, the robe and the towel and he did the cartwheels. And bit by bit, they stripped all of that away from him. They took it all away. Why would they do that? To see if the guy can make it on his own without all the, the bells and whistles? I don't think that's why they did that. That doesn't make any sense. I, I, it's one of those things. They, they take what a person has, they take any mid-card guy, and they just strip it away, and they strip it away, and they make it harder. They actually make it harder for their own guys to get over. And that's what they did with Fandango. Fandango, all he had was a song. I love Chris Jericho, okay, he's great, Jericho's awesome, but Jericho had done interviews and said, hey, look, you know, I worked with Fandango at WrestleMania 29, and the very next night he was the biggest star in the company, as if that had any fucking thing at all to do with Chris Jericho laying down and doing the job for him at WrestleMania. The guy got over because he had a wild, rowdy crowd, and they liked the music. If Fandango had a shitty theme song, he never would have gotten over, regardless of what Chris Jericho did for him. So they took that away from him. The guy hasn't been over in like a year, year and a half. Maybe more. Now the people love him. Give it two weeks. They won't care. And as for Rosa Mendez, I'm calling it right now. She will not be working here in six months. She's done. The only thing saving her job was Total Divas. When they added her to Total Divas, I couldn't understand why. That was the decision the production company made, not WWE. Maybe they wanted you know, a Latino woman on the show. That saved her job. She is no longer on Total Divas, and now the the one thing she had going for her in the company is no more. She's no longer part of that act. She has been dumped. There's absolutely no reason to keep her around anymore. She just does not bring anything to the table. People have differing views on whether or not she's attractive. I I mean, I have a friend who thinks she is the grossest thing he's ever seen. (laughs) Even his wife watched Total Divas. Even his wife His wife is in love with a lot of these women. His wife is in love with Paige. I think his wife would actually leave him to be with Paige. And she loves the Bella Twins, and she loves Natty. Even she was like, Rosa, ew. Like, I know people who feel that way. And there are other people who think Rosa Mendez is a very attractive woman. I'm not going to comment on that, but I will say this. She... Is by no means the most attractive woman they have on that roster. She's not being kept around for her looks. Let's put it that way. It's not like Rosa is so mind-blowingly attractive. We just have to keep this woman around. I could see them doing that with Eva Marie, because Eva Marie is a very attractive woman. Doesn't have a lot else going for her right now, although she's trying. I, I see these these Instagram Vine videos where she's training apparently with uh, Brian Kendrick. So she's trying. She's trying to get better. Rosa Mendez got signed to developmental in 2006. Think about that. She's been with the company almost 10 years. She is horrible in the ring. There has not been an ounce of improvement in 10 years. She is as bad now as she was back then the day she signed. She is done. She is done. It's just a matter of when, not if. Rollins and Kane had their little... Match in the ring they built this story up like Kane just did not want to lay down for this guy if it were up to him he would have chokeslammed and tombstoned him straight to hell but Triple H and Stephanie are not there Kane is the, uh, I guess, kind of the surrogate leader of the authority in their absence he has to do the right thing he has to do what's best for business begrudgingly, even though he doesn't want to he grabbed J&J security by the throat to chokeslam them at one point that he... Uh, did he actually end up choke slam He did choke slam Rollins. <clears throat> yeah, he did. He actually threatened to give him the tombstone, but then thought better of it. Rollins was already laid out. So then Kane got down on the ground, grabbed Rollins' arm, pulled Rollins on top of him, and allowed Rollins to pin him, and then he left in a huff. So, as I said last week, when it kind of looked like maybe they were gearing up for a Kane split and a Kane babyface turn, that's exactly what they're doing here. I said it last week... Give it a few weeks, the mask will be back on him. And again, once the mask goes back on Kane, people are going to go nuts for him. Kane is going to become the biggest baby face in the world once they do the split from the Authority. Uh, he, The guy is Teflon. The guy will be doing this when he's in his 50s, closing in on 60, let alone 50. He's just got that intangible. He's, he's one of those last re- relics from that Attitude Era that people love so much. And he still... I gotta say this much, okay? The one thing I took away from this whole thing... Kane is fucking jacked. For a 47-year-old guy, let me tell you, who's walking around in a suit and tie... Okay? And wearing slacks in the ring with shoes. The guy is fucking jacked. So I say good for him. He is in great shape. Um, But... By virtue of that win, Rollins now got to also pick a stipulation for the match with at Extreme Rules. We would find out at the end of the show what these wonderful stipulations would be. Mizdow beat Miz in a two-minute match after rolling him up with the tights, the same way Miz beat him the week before. Nobody cared. On Raw this Monday, they are going to do another Miz vs. Mizdow match, only this time the stipulation is that the winner gets to keep the Miz brand... That includes the music, the name, the sunglasses, the whole kit and caboodle. So basically, they both end up losers. If you lose, you lose, and if you win, you lose. There are no winners here. What a great stipulation. And I guess that means they're not even doing a Miz vs. Mizdale match at Extreme Rules. Miz is leaving to film that movie with Paige, so he probably will not even be on the pay-per-view. I guess none of this matters anyway, since Extreme Rules is is free on the network. Uh, So who cares? I don't, not anymore I don't give a shit about any of this In fact, I bet they don't even have Mizdow win Right? Everybody seems to think, well Miz is going to go film the movie So of course he's going to lose Well, maybe he will But watch Summer Ray turn on Mizdow and help Miz win And then Miz leaves to go film his movie anyway With lucky landslots You can get lucky just about anywhere Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen The Bride and Groom?
2: No purchase necessary.
1: Void, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The more I think about it, yeah, Sandow, Sandow is so dead when this storyline is over. He's already kind of dead. He's already, those reactions are very tepid now compared to how they were before. But when this is over, I mean, they may as well use the idea that one of our listeners had last week. Make him Macho Mandow and team him up with Curtis Axel as the new mega powers. I'm starting to think that actually would not be the worst idea in the world because otherwise Mizdow is just going to be dead in the water. One of the writers in WWE, clearly a Sound Off fan, given how they attempted to inject some common sense into this dialogue here from Naomi. Who's the Divas champion? Nikki Bella. Nikki Bella, the Diva I beat twice. So tell me this,
3: why did we have to have a Divas battle royal tonight? Uh, I don't know. Nobody knows. It doesn't make sense. It's ridiculous. It blows my
0: mind. I mean, do wins and losses mean anything around here?
1: No. They don't. That's kind of been the point of what I've been saying now for years here on this show. I you know what I find even funnier about that? Not just the fact they would even like address that as a subject, but the the little expression that she used where she said it blows her mind. I, use the, I say that all the time on this show. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. But uh, they're using that now to, to illustrate how Naomi is frustrated. She turned on, on Paige and did what she did because she realizes that she's being passed over for opportunities here. She should be the number one contender for the Divas Championship. She should not have to compete in a battle royal. She's beaten the champion already on television. I mean, what's a girl got to do around here, right? Well, she ought to ask Natalia. Talk to her. Ask her about those three times she beat the champion in non-title matches on TV. She's still waiting for her title shot. This Naomi heel turn would actually lend itself well to the idea that I talked about last week on the Sound Off if they wanted to turn the Usos heel with Roman Reigns. The only problem with that is one of the Usos is is down. They're a man down now. Jey Uso underwent shoulder surgery. He's going to be out for up to six months. The story on WWE.com tries to portray it like it happened at WrestleMania. Of course, there was talk in the weeks before Wrestlemania that he was hurt going into the show didn't know if the Usos would be on the show he actually got hurt it was a little over a month ago maybe about 5 weeks ago at a Smackdown taping so uh, WWE just trying to twist it it's kind of like John Cena and Batista remember back in the day when John Cena hurt his neck and he had to have his neck operated on and again Super Cena he was back within 3 months from a neck injury his first match back he wins the world title from Chris Jericho Uh, (laughs) tears his peck Torres Peck, right off the bone, John Cena did, back within three months, first night in, wins the Royal Rumble, this guy's amazing, It's like a machine, but if you remember that first Cena-Batista match at SummerSlam in 08, it was built up as this big match, this big first time meeting between the two of them, and they portrayed it like the injury happened in that match, Cena came off the top for a, a jumping leg drop and Batista caught him with a Batista bomb. That's not how the injury happened. He was hurt going into the match, but that's what they do. They try to, you know, and, and you know what? I probably would do the same thing in some cases. In other cases, I'd be a little more honest and just say, listen, you know, there was a, they, they got hurt, wear and tear, there was an injury, and now they have to go get surgery. But they try to portray it as though, well, it happened on this show, and it happened on that show. They did the same thing with Benoit. When Benoit hurt his neck, and Benoit ended up being out for a year, he had spinal fusion surgery. He went into that match with Jericho and Austin. Remember they had a triple threat match at the King of the Ring for the championship? And they portrayed it like he got hurt in that match and they find they find that little bit of footage of Benoit down with this pained expression on his face. He didn't get hurt in that match. He was hurt going in. I think he actually hurt himself in the TLC match. Uh, the night after they won the tag titles when Triple H tore his quad at the SmackDown taping the next night, they had a four-way TLC match that Jericho and Benoit won. I think that's where the injury happened. So there's a... Uh, A pattern here with how WWE does these things. Don't believe everything you read. Especially if it's on WWE.com. Dolph Ziggler came out. He called Kane the devil's favorite dumbass. He then said that he would not be facing Seth Rollins, but that did not mean he was not going to be wrestling. He extended an open challenge to anybody in the back. Dolph Ziggler now copying off John Cena. Two open challenges on one show. Reminds me of the old open fight night on Impact. I used to hate Open Fight Night. Dread it. I dreaded it when they would have that Open Fight Night gimmick. Anyway, the man whose first name Gravity forgot, Neville, accepted the challenge. Although Michael Cole did slip up once during this match, he called him Adrian Neville. Uh-oh. That's a slaying of his firstborn as punishment. Really fun match for the time it lasted. It wasn't that long. Uh, A great showcase for Neville. He did a 450 off the barricade at one point that looked just incredible. Especially when you consider he had to be no more than four or five feet off the ground, if that. Uh, But he nailed it beautifully. I mean, he's a special cat, this guy. I find myself using the word cat more often. I blame Steve Austin for this. Ziggler got the win with the zigzag and it was the first time I booed a Dolph Ziggler win in a very long time I I badly wanted Neville to win they got me into this match here but again not a burial I still see people they haven't learned their lesson yet this was not a burial even though he lost two weeks in a row I'm not happy about that but he's not buried now if he's still losing all of his matches let's say a month from now that's a different story right now it's fine this was easily the best thing on the entire show This is what WWE.com, by the way, had to say about this match in their raw review on their website. The two workhorses did not disappoint, clashing in a dream match the likes of which even the most fervent corners of the internet sports entertainment community did not think would happen for another few months. Now this was done done as a rib by Joey Styles. It was all tongue-in-cheek. I didn't think, though, it was possible to come up with a phrase more idiotic and irrelevant than internet wrestling community, but internet sports entertainment community ranks up there, probably among the most embarrassing things I've ever heard in my entire life. So, congrats to Joey. Mission accomplished. After the match, Sheamus ran out, laid out Neville with a brogue kick, then did the same to Dolph Ziggler after some brawling. The two of them, Ziggler and Sheamus, are going to have a kiss-me-arse match at Extreme Rules. Whenever Sheamus and Dolph Ziggler wrestle, two things you can be sure of. Number one, they're going to have a pretty damn good match. Number two, it will not end well for Dolph Ziggler. I don't think I can ever remember Dolph Ziggler beating Sheamus. It must have happened at least once or twice. Of all the thousands of matches these two guys have had in the last few years, I'm I'm almost certain that Ziggler had to have won a couple of them. But I don't have any memory of it at all. Every single match I ever remember these two guys having, it's like a blur. It's the same thing: bro kick pin, bro kick pin, bro kick pin. That, that's it. That's the pattern here. I don't think this will be any different. Maybe maybe he'll cheat. Maybe Sheamus will cheat now because the roles are reversed. He's the heel and Ziggler is the face. I don't know, but probably a bro kick and a pin. That's what we're looking at here. And then Dolph Ziggler is going to have to pucker up and uh, and kiss the man's ass. I hope he brings chapstick. Because I don't see this being any different. Final segment was Seth Rollins and Randy Orton choosing their respective stipulations for the match at Extreme Rules. Rollins was out first with J&J Security. Rollins was lounging in a recliner in the ring, acting all smug. He is a very good dick heel. I will say that. Seth Rollins is very good at his role. Orton came out. Seth told him that at Extreme Rules his stipulation is that the RKO is banned. little uh, role reversal for those of you who remember the Randy orton Shawn Michaels feud in 2007, where Michaels was banned from using the super kick in a match with Orton, I think. I want to say it was Survivor Series that year, I think. And here we are all these years later, and now Orton is the babyface veteran, and Rollins is the young, arrogant heel champion. So the roles are reversed. Now in response, Randy Orton said that I'm going to take away your biggest asset, which is the authority. Nobody will be able to help you, he said, because I am making this a steel cage match. Somebody please buy Randy Orton a WWE Network subscription and show him all of the pay-per-views, all of the times over the years that there has been interference in a WWE steel cage match. You know, if a cage match is inherently no disqualification, here's the first question I have. Why would Randy Orton care about the RKO being banned? What would stop Randy Orton from not using the RKO if it is inherently a no disqualification match? I mean, I I guess Triple H could come out on TV this week and say that if Orton uses it, you're, you're fired or something like that. But they haven't done that. They didn't say that. So that makes no sense. And it also makes Randy Orton look like a complete idiot for believing that a cage is going to do anything to keep out the bad guys. Every single time they do a cage match in WWE, somebody interferes. They get in through the door, they climb in over the top, they come up from underneath the ring. They always find a way inside. So for that reason, Orton deserves to lose. Randy Orton proved his IQ is not high enough to be WWE champion. I can't have somebody that dumb representing me as my champion. So I'm pulling for Rollins in this one. The thought did cross my mind, though. I still believe these Bray Wyatt promos are in reference to Roman Reigns, and that's the next program after Reigns wraps things up with the big show at, you know, WrestleMania 38. But what if it is not Roman Reigns that Bray Wyatt has been talking about in his promos? What if the guy he's been talking about is actually Randy Orton? I really hope not, because I could envision a finish where Bray interferes to give Rollins the win, and if they do that, it would be a carbon copy of the finish that we saw in the Rollins-Ambrose-Hell in a Cell match last uh, October. Only difference is, hopefully this time we would have no holograms. <laughs> but yeah, I, I could I, look, I could see Orton and uh, Wyatt. I don't think they've had a television feud. In fact, the only match I could ever remember seeing them in was at the Hulk Hogan Appreciation house show I was at in February. They had a match, and Orton beat them clean with the RKO. I don't think they've ever feuded on TV or had a pay-per-view match. So maybe it's not Roman Reigns. Maybe it's Randy Orton instead. But I hope, if that's the case, they've got some finish other than what I just described planned, because it would be the exact same thing we saw last fall. They do tend to have short-term memories, though, so it's possible that by now Vince McMahon has completely forgotten they even did that finish, and he's like, that sounds like a damn good idea. Let's go for it. Let's hope not.
3: I'm actually not wearing pants, and that's how I watch NXT every single week.
1: NXT this week, not nearly as good as it was last week. Solomon Crowe. Opened the show with a match against C.J. Parker. And here I thought I was done with this guy. Crow won with the stretch muffler submission. C.J. Parker got more offense in this match than he has gotten in any match I probably have ever seen him in. And he's not even in the company anymore. It's unbelievable how that works. So, you know, Crow is on the ascent in NXT... I know there's a lot of Sammy Callahan fans who are very happy to finally see him on TV and have high hopes for this guy and I hope he makes it. All I'm saying is when I watch him, he doesn't do anything for me. There's nothing about him, at least in this character. Maybe it's the character. Maybe it's the way he does his hair. He has a stupid haircut. I don't know what it is. I don't I don't care about this guy. You know, he's one of those talented indie guys that they've brought in that I actually don't care about. They have not given me a reason to care about this guy, and there's nothing about his his offense that really stands out to me, aside from the fact he does a tope through the bottom rope and the middle rope, which is kind of unique. I don't think I've seen that before. But aside from that, there's really not much to it. So he's got to show me something here. Baron Corbin, and, and by the way, his catchphrase sucks. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program. Thank you, Walter fucking Cronkite. There, there's nothing about this, this character that I'm digging right now. Baron Corbin beat Steve Cutler quickly with the end of days. Nothing much to it. They almost seem to be regressing in the way that they're uh, pushing Baron Corbin here. Instead of his matches getting longer and his character developing, it's just right back to where they were six months ago. Big Kaz and Enzo, the highlights of any show. They came out with Carmella, got a huge reaction before the match. Enzo called himself the Jordan of Jargon, although I, I, to try to say it the way he did, he called himself, what he really said was, he was the, the Jordan of Jargon, I'm the Jordan of Jargon, that's kind of how he, it comes out with his accent, so he tried to change it up a little bit, he got a little bit of, uh, of new dialogue in there. These guys are going to be huge. When they get to the main roster, they're going to be like the New Age Outlaws of the current era, and there's nothing wrong with that because the New Age Outlaws were one of the most over acts of the entire Attitude Era, and they still today are over, and they both have jobs in the company, and they still wrestle every now and then. So if Kaz and Enzo can end up having a career the way the New Age Outlaws did, I'd call that a good career. Plus the Outlaws are going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. So during the match, Blake and Murphy came down to the ring. It was a match. I forgot to mention their opponents, Uh, Sawyer Fulton and Angelo Dawkins. They are almost like a modern-day version of Haas and Benjamin. I look at them, I think of Haas and Benjamin. I don't even think of the, uh, some people think of the Steiner brothers because of the headgear that Fulton wears. He looks like Rick Steiner. I think of Haas and Benjamin. If they could be half as good as Haas and Benjamin were at their peak, they'll be a good team. So Blake and Murphy came down during the match. They handed Carmella a rose and then walked off. Kaz and Enzo were not so happy about that when the match was over. Carmella was over the moon. She's like, hey, look at this. Look what they gave me. Alex Riley is back. He got the crazy eyes in his promo. It was a little scary. He's a little scary when he goes over the top. Uh, He says he's not done with Kevin Owens and he demands that he show up next week. I think this is so sad. It's so sad because this guy is so clearly concussed from the first match with Kevin Owens. He doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. He ought to be taken off the road. He's clearly uh, got some issues going on up in that brain right now. This poor bastard never learns. I have a feeling, though, Alex Riley may yet end up with a win over Kevin Owens next week, thanks to Sami Zayn. I could see Zayn coming out to continue this feud cost Kevin Owens the match I could easily see it happening if Kevin Owens loses to Alex Riley then he should be forced to surrender the championship out of embarrassment just strip him of the title if that happens Dana Brooke made her long anticipated NXT debut I say long anticipated only because they've been showing vignettes about this woman for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. So Blue Pants comes out first. Blue Pants is, is over like gangbusters in that full sail arena. And Dana Brooke comes out. And she, you know what she reminds me of? She looked like Beth Phoenix. I think just the gear and the, you know, the blonde hair. I don't know. There was something about her that reminded me of Beth Phoenix. It certainly was not her in-ring ability. That is for damn sure. Uh, this was not good. <laughs> this was not a good match. She's very green. You know, she was in the Arnold Classic. She does some competitive bodybuilding. I don't think she really has any background at all in wrestling. They recruited her, and she's been training with Sarah Del Rey. All I can say about that is they can't all be winners. Sarah Del Rey is not uh, Mother Teresa. She is not a miracle worker. Maybe in time Dana Brooke will turn out to be a damn good pro wrestler, but right now she is not anywhere close to being a damn good pro wrestler. She is very, very bad. And uh her finish was, I think it was like a snowplow, right? The old snowplow, Mishinoku driver into a pin.
3: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?
2: I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law.
3: 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: The thing I hated about this, I mean, she's green. She's learning. It is developmental. I know Triple H says this is more than just developmental. It's a brand. At the end of the day, though, it's fucking developmental, okay? And so I can't hate on her too much because she is exactly where she needs to be. She should not be on television. They have a lot of people at that performance center who are not ready for prime time, who don't make their debut on the TV show. She should be one of those people. She should have been kept off TV at least another six months. I don't don't know why she's on TV now. She's an attractive girl, but again, she's not overly super-duper attractive. I don't know why why they found it necessary to put her on TV now. I can't imagine they don't have one or two other women who are a little bit better than her and more advanced who they could have put in her place. But she debuted, she's here, and now she's going to have to learn as she goes. Uh, The thing I hated, though, above all else, and this is something I'm sure they've taught her and they've told her to do this and they need to fucking stop. She's a heel, okay? She does these gyrations like she's a fucking hooker. She looked like a hooker. She looked like a lady of the night. Like a freaking pole dancer. The matches, she did it before the match and she did it after the match. And it was embarrassing because the match is over and she's standing there. And she starts, you know, she's gyrating around and going. she's going down. She's coming up. She's going down. She's coming up. Over and over and over and over and over again. Like she's waiting for her cue to stop and i'm just watching this woman i'm like who does that like who who would who would move like that who would act like that like stop what are you doing stop you look stupid it just it aggravated me but you know they probably said listen this is your character and you need to go out there and you need to move around like this and you need to gyrate like that and she just took what they said literally right to the the letter of the of the letter of the law and she goes out there and she just does it and she stands there and she just keeps doing it she needs to stop. <laughs> it's been one appearance, and I'm already sick of her. She needs to stop. Main event was Sami Zayn over Rhino with the Haluva kick. And I think the most impressive part of this match to me was Sami Zayn giving Rhino a blue thunderbomb. That's a tough move to do with a like a normal size person. Rhino is not a normal size person. He is a thick man. He's a lot bigger and heavier. Than uh Sammy Zayn, not taller, but he is definitely a wider uh heavier person than Sammy Zayn is, so I thought that was pretty impressive. I thought the rest of the match was you know it was okay, it wasn't anything overly exceptional. It got good in the last few minutes, and Sammy won as he should have. They're building him back up to a championship rematch with Kevin Owens, so the right person won. That's exactly what Rhino's role should be on the show. He should be the one who comes out, gets a nice pop because people like to see him. He could win some matches against some no-name scrubs, but when you're trying to put over some of the newer guys, you know, like a a win over Rhino could be valuable. To Sami Zayn, not so much. I I look at Sami Zayn, like, is Sami Zayn looked at any differently now that he beat Rhino? Probably not, but I think if somebody on the ascent, you know, even like a Solomon Crow or a, a Baron Corbin, if they beat Rhino, it might mean something. It might be impressive. So that's exactly the role that he should be playing on the show. And this upcoming Wednesday night on NXT, there will be a triple threat number one contenders match between Charlotte Bayley and Becky Lynch to determine who goes on to meet Sasha Banks for the NXT Women's Championship. So that was the show this week. Not the best episode of NXT, kind of a ho-hum show, to be honest with you. Coming off that Hideo Itami hour last week, uh, this was pretty bad by comparison. But on its own, it was fine. ProWrestlingTees.com is your one-stop shop for all things Sound Off. We've got a ton of different t-shirt designs up there right now, including the official Sound Off logo shirt, the Eat Sleep Sound Off Repeat shirt, and original designs as well, like "Let Me School You, Son." And it's not rocket science, people. And it's not rocket science that you should go right now to our store, ProWrestlingTees.com/salamonster. Sounds Off, and get yourself a shirt, maybe two. They ship all over the world, so if you are an international fan of the show, fear not—you can get your own Sound Off shirt. You can also pay via credit card or PayPal. Whatever works best for you. So head on over to Pro slash Solomonster Sounds Off. Buy yourself a Sound Off shirt. The next time you go to Monday Night Raw, TNA, Ring of Honor, or just out with the family, you can represent the sound off with an official sound off t-shirt. Again, visit Pro slash Solomonster Sounds Off and get your shirt right now. We got a lot of TNA news to talk about this week. The big story being Taz is no longer in TNA. He has departed. On Wednesday, he tweeted, Would like to thank TNA Wrestling for the opportunity to apply my craft for the past several years. Best wishes to them in the future. And John Gaborek who is the uh, Executive Vice President of Creative and Talent Relations, he tweeted out, After five-plus years, TNA and Taz have mutually decided to part ways. A champ in the ring and on the mic. We wish him nothing but success. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's funny. When I sat down to watch last week's episode of Impact, which I did finally see... The first thing that jumped out at me when they showed Josh and Taz in their little uh, closet at the beginning of the show was how disinterested Taz seemed to be. I actually noticed it. I actually said to myself, God, that he, looks like he doesn't want to be there. It was like Josh threw it to him, and he, his response was like, Yep, going to be a great show, but like he said it in such a way where it just sounded so phony. And then this happens. Uh, I guess now we know why. It's hard to get interested when you're not getting paid. The story is that Taz was supposed to fly to Nashville last week to do voiceovers for Impact and never got on his flight. TNA uh, has been behind on paying its talent and Taz refused to get on the plane unless he was paid. Plain and simple. I guess he, he was not paid in time, or maybe he was, but either way he ended up not making the trip. And instead Josh Matthews ended up doing the show by himself. Al Snow has reportedly done some practice announcing sessions with Josh in the last few weeks, so Uh, And Snow was the one who coached uh, Matthews in the first season of Tough Enough. So they may be grooming Al Snow to be Taz's replacement. I'm not saying Snow would be bad at it, but he's got a voice like Gravel. He's got a voice like Vince McMahon now. Vince McMahon, if he went back to doing commentary like he used to 20 years ago, it wouldn't be the same. It it sounds like he's he's gargling uh, Gravel. I don't know how good that would be uh, for the rest of us to listen to for two straight hours every single week. So I don't know about Al Snow. Taz spoke about the situation on his podcast finally. He says his contract was supposed to run through the summer. He asked for his release, so he was not fired. He asked for his release, and he was granted it. He said checks that were owed to him were very late. Uh, That really was the genesis of all this. He's got a family, he's got bills to pay, and when you do work... You expect to be compensated for that work in a timely manner. How dare Taz expect to be paid for his work? What a prima donna. Especially when you're the... uh, (laughs) what What was it that Dixie said? Especially when you're cash flow positive. Ain't that right, Dixie? How can stuff like this be happening when you're cash flow positive? He did admit that he and Josh Matthews had a falling out of some sort. And that he doesn't like him. But that had nothing to do with his leaving TNA. I wonder what Taz thought of uh, Little Boy Josh's Twitter comments to Jim Ross a few months ago. I wonder if that had anything to do with the falling out. He didn't spell it out exactly what they had a falling out about. I wonder if that had anything to do with it or if they already hated each other. <laughs> if not, I'm, I'm sure those comments that Josh made to Jim Ross, who Taz likes and respects Jim Ross a lot, I'm sure those comments did not uh, endear Josh to Taz very much. So, Taz joins many other ex-WWE stars like Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and Booker T and Kevin Nash and Bully Ray and Mick Foley, who are on the outs with TNA. He spent six years there. Obvious question is whether or not there is a WWE return in his future. I'm not sure. You know, it was was two summers ago that Taz re-signed with TNA. After a lot of teasing that he might be considering a WWE return. And maybe he was just doing that to get people talking as a negotiating tactic, a negotiating ploy. Maybe he really doesn't want to go back to WWE and have Vince yelling in his ear. That's, I think, one of the reasons why he left. So maybe that's what happened there. But he definitely was teasing it on his social media. He ended up signing with TNA. He signed, I guess what we can now deduce, was a new two-year contract. This was a couple of summers ago. The point is, he in the end, he re-signed with TNA. I'm not sure that he got a lot of interest from the WWE side. Maybe he did want to go back to WWE, and they just didn't have a spot for him, and they didn't seem overly interested in bringing him in, and maybe that's why he ended up staying with TNA. Otherwise, maybe he would have been as good as gone. So who's to say the interest would be there now from WWE? I think there should be. I think they should sign Taz. Their announcing right now is atrocious. So say what you want about Taz. I actually think that Taz would be an improvement if he were to replace a certain uh, cowboy who wears a cowboy hat on Monday nights. I can't think that it would be any worse. And I, I do think that Cole and Taz, who I think may have also had a falling out at one time many, many years ago. I mean, they may be cool now, but I think they also had a falling out once upon a time. Cole and Taz back in the day, they had a chemistry together. Now, it's been a long time. Cole has chemistry with JBL. He's got chemistry with King. Would he have the same kind of chemistry with Taz? I don't know. I don't know until I hear them together. Maybe they would. People have come back to WWE after being in TNA, and it sounds like they've got a new life to them. Maybe Taz would have brand new life in his voice, and it would actually sound like he gives a shit. You don't know until you try. All I'm saying is, it can't be any worse than the announcing we get now in WWE. Not only that, they've got this new season of Tough Enough that's debuting in June. And I think Taz would be a great fit as the host or the lead trainer. I mean, he's not going to be like one of the other peripheral trainers who gets in there and kind of bumps around. He can't really take bumps with his neck uh, anymore. But I think in that lead trainer or host role, he'd be damn good. He was great in that first MTV season. Him ripping on Daryl still puts a smile on my face when I think about it. Remember when Daryl was running behind the truck? Taz was like in this pickup truck on like a megaphone yelling at him, calling him a fat piece of shit. <laughs> and Daryl couldn't keep... I mean, it's horrible, but you know, it's funny. I thought it was. Uh, especially when you have somebody like Daryl who, in that first season of Tough Enough, it's been so long since I've watched it, but I think he was one of those guys who kind of took everything for granted. And just doing a little bit of exercise, he was bitching and moaning, so it was funny. You know, it was funny to hear Taz rip into him and uh and then you consider this here's another thing by the way they're planning on adding more live podcast content to the network i saw that in one of their ads for the the new wwe network programming live podcasts it said in the background i know they've got the monthly jericho podcast maybe they'll bring back austin at some point he could do his show but why not have taz do something weekly for the network he already has his own podcast Plus, he he just started doing some stuff for CBS Radio. He does Raw reviews every single week. Why not have Taz go live on the network after Raw on Mondays with his own Raw review? Or you could do it on Tuesdays. It doesn't even have to be on Monday nights. Maybe that's too late for him. Do it on Tuesdays. He could even take live calls. Why not? That's the sort of content they should be thinking about for this network. There's a bunch of different things Taz could be doing for the company other than wrestling which he would not do the only hitch might be that on his podcast he also said he's got a deal in the works that will have him doing a podcast five days a week now if it's not for WWE then that would take up a lot of his time and that may close the door on the chance of any of this other stuff happening but I I think they should keep an open mind and consider it I think he would be good in that role now speaking of TNA being delinquent and paying people the production people are not safe the announcers are not safe the talent is not safe and neither are the production people. Uh, so to piggyback on this other story we just talked about, Brian Fritz with the Sporting News reported this week that multiple freelance production people, so they don't work directly for TNA, they're hired help basically. Most of whom have had long-standing relationships with TNA. Uh, they're not only way behind on paying all these other people; they're way behind on paying production people for certain dates. And also other production people have been shorted on some pay that they were owed. So they expected this much and they got this much. Uh, They say they're still owed money for the one-night-only pay-per-view tapings that took place in February. Uh, One production team member was told by TNA's accounting department that the checks for the one-night-only shows were cut on April 3rd. Here we are now. It's April 19th. Nobody has received them yet. And there's a quote in uh, the Brian Fritz story from one of the production people who says, they are just blatantly lying to us all the time. They're probably still on the floor in Dallas in the office of Panda Energy. So, not good news for TNA. Uh, there There was another report that one of the reasons a lot of the talent was delayed in getting paid was there was some kind of change from the office in Nashville to the office in Dallas. It's complete bullshit. It's complete bullshit. They're having money problems. But paying your people should be the most important thing. They've already got a small enough roster left as it is. People are leaving left and right. They just had somebody else leave. The head of their social media department, I think. Their their digital and social media just took a job somewhere else. People, it's like rats jumping off a sinking ship. Pay your fucking people. That's the most important thing. Don't worry about going back on pay-per-view. There's talk now that Slammiversary in June is going to be a pay-per-view. They're going to make some kind of announcement, I think, this week about Slammiversary. Maybe it's just the location, but it's gonna air on, on Destination America. We'll see. There's a lot of talk, they're gonna be back on pay per view. I don't understand that for the life of me. They don't do any business on pay per view. Why the fuck would you go back on pay per view? You've got no buzz around your product right now. Your ratings continue to go down. Don't worry about going back on pay per view. Don't worry don't worry about a lot of things. How about just worry about your core business right now? Pay your people and and just focus on impact. They don't do house shows. They don't do any of that stuff because they can't afford it. And when you can't afford to start, you know, paying your people on time, that's a problem. And I know that some guys like Matt Hardy and Manic came out to defend the company. Havoc came out to say, I've always been paid on time. It doesn't have to be a problem with every single person on the roster. I'm glad that Matt Hardy and Manic and Havoc were all paid on time. Apparently, there were a lot of other guys who were not. And one guy just left the company because of it. So that tells you right there that there are problems going on. Wasn't it last year when the production people threatened to walk out and hold the company hostage before a set of tapings, unless they were paid right then and there? I think that was last year. And Dixie Carter had to scramble and, and sign a whole bunch of checks to make sure they didn't walk off the job. So here we are again, not even a year later, and a lot of those production people are having the same, the same issues, So they got to get their house in order. It's just embarrassing. It's embarrassing to constantly read these stories about TNA, especially at a time when their show is actually pretty good. I watched Impact this week. I did get to see it. It was a good show. Josh Matthews called the show by himself. I thought he did fine. The whole show was built around this tag team tournament. The Wolves had vacated the titles because of Eddie Edwards' heel injury. So the titles were up for grabs. They had a tournament. And the Hardys, Matt and Jeff, are the new TNA tag team champions for the very first time. Which is kind of surprising All the years they've been in that company They've never held the tag team belts before And they really made it out to be like a big deal Like it was some monumental thing that had just occurred Uh, They beat the Revolution to open the show And then they ended up winning the titles In an Ultimate X main event Ultimate X was the main event With the cables hanging And you gotta climb across the cables And grab the belts So I thought that that was well done And I thought the Ultimate X main event was pretty good Kurt Angle and Eric Young are going to have a championship match next week, as I thought. That's why they had Eric Young beat Bobby Roode a few weeks ago. They needed some heel to challenge Kurt Angle for the championship. Bobby Lashley.
0: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
1: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
2: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time.
1: apparently is going to be gone uh they did an injury angle with him last week i think he's going to be training for an mma fight in june so i wouldn't expect to see him for a while so there was a kurt angle eric young promo and kurt angle is putting over eric young he's saying eric young you're crazy like i want to see the old eric young it's like i want to see the old stone cold (laughs) that's the angle they're doing now with eric young he wants to see the old stone cold he wants the old eric young back So that's this uh, story that they're doing here. They announced that next week is TKO, a night of knockouts. That's this Friday night. It's going to be an all-knockout show. That's what I get out of this. That's what I think. I think it's all knockouts, except the main event. We'll talk about that in a second. They announced the main event of Taron Terrell against Awesome Kong for the knockouts title. They called it a main event. But yet Kurt Angle versus Eric Young for the TNA World Heavyweight title was also announced as the main event for this upcoming Friday show. So that was weird. Uh, the Dollhouse. Mia Yim and Marty Bell will also make their debut this Friday. So if it isn't entirely a knockout show, aside from the Kurt Angle match, it will mostly be a knockout uh, show. And I have no problem with that. I think it's cool. See, when you're TNA, here's the, here's the thing. When you've got nothing going on and you've got nothing to lose and your ratings are, are, are very unstable, they're going down, you've got to try new things. And they've got some talented women in that company – The WWE Divas division at this moment is just a complete joke. It's being treated like shit. Hopefully that'll change when they start bringing up some of the NXT women. But as long as Vince McMahon is in the the catbird seat, I don't really foresee things changing all that much. So one advantage that TNA has over WWE, maybe not NXT, but one advantage they have over WWE and the main roster right now are the knockouts some of the women are are okay and some of the women are actually very good and so why not showcase your women why not do something different that's what they're going to do on friday and i like that i like that idea uh the bromans also appear to be headed for splitsville they uh were teasing a lot of dissension between the two of them especially after they lost their match they they were fighting they actually got into it and djz ran down to break them up and then uh Was it uh, Robbie shoved down DJ Z? So they're not officially broken up yet, but they're definitely on their way. Uh, One thing I noticed, maybe it was just me, I thought Jesse Godders looked noticeably smaller on this show. I mean, believe me, he's still jacked and in great shape. Not nearly as swelled up, though, as he normally is. I thought he was noticeably smaller on this show. I don't know if anybody else picked up on that. And that was uh, th- those are the key points on impact. I, you know, I'm not going to go match by match here. Again, the, the show was really built around this tournament. So they had a bunch of tournament matches, different teams. You know, Ken Anderson and Rockstar Spud was one team. Uh, they had Loki and Kenny King representing the Beatdown Clan. They had the Hardys. They had the Revolution, which was Koya and James Storm. Bram and EC3 were another team. So I like the whole tag team tournament thing. It made for a good story with the Hardys getting the big win at the end. And now they can set up for a big rematch with the Hardys and the Wolves when the Wolves are ready to come back, which should not be that long. I think Eddie Edwards is probably going to be ready to come back probably the beginning of next month. He's not too far off, I think, from being healed up from that injury, which is always why it puzzled me why they even bothered taking the titles off them. But maybe it was to do this. It was to set up the Hardys winning, getting their first tag team titles, and then the Hardys can put over the Wolves and drop the belts back to them. Lucha Underground. Have a little bit of Lucha Underground news before we get into the review of this week's show. Uh, And it involves Jim Ross. In one of his recent blogs, Jim Ross revealed that he had been in talks with Lucha Underground about announcing for their big season finale episode that uh, is taped... I think it actually might be taping tonight. They might be taping the two-hour season finale tonight. For Lucha Underground, it won't air until August, so if you're like me, I would avoid those spoilers like the plague. Uh, they couldn't reach a deal for JR to do the show, so he didn't do it. Now, according to the latest Observer newsletter, the idea was that Jim Ross would call the season finale and then be brought back as the permanent announcer for season two with Matt Striker. So Vampiro would be the odd man out, not Striker. Essentially, they would be reprising the announced team from the New Japan pay-per-view, Wrestle Kingdom, when it was JR and Stryker who did the commentary, and I thought they did a very good job. Um, but it doesn't look like that's happening. And you know what? I'm happy that it's not. And I say that as somebody who loves JR and loved the combination of JR and Stryker back in January when they did the Wrestle Kingdom show. You know, I thought they worked great together, but there's two things on this. Number one, I've really warmed up to Vampiro as an announcer on the show. I can't sit here and tell you he's great, but he's perfect in that role. he He's just, he has a certain level of enthusiasm and excitement about the product that I really don't think you can just have somebody else come in and replicate. You know, I wasn't sold on him at first. At first, I thought he sucked. <laughs> I really did, but he's actually quite good. And he and Stryker have become my favorite announce team on any wrestling show that includes Raw, SmackDown, NXT, TNA, I mean, you name it. I don't get to watch the New Japan on Access show, so maybe Mara Ronaldo and Josh Barnett might, might be better than them. They're quite good. But they are my favorite announced team in wrestling right now at the moment. Uh, I would hate to see them break that team up. The other thing is this, and this is the bigger point. As much as I love Jim Ross, I really don't think he would be a good fit for Lucha Libre. I really don't. I know, right? An Oki with a cowboy hat, not a good fit for Lucha Libre. But when I think back to that Wrestle Kingdom 9 show, I thought JR's weakest work during that entire show came in the opening match. It was that tag team match. Uh, Red Dragon, the Young Bucks, the Time Splitters, and the uh, Forever Hooligans were in the opening match. Really, I didn't think he hit his stride until the Minoru Suzuki match on that show. But I think the action, it was so fast paced and there were so many guys involved that he just felt a few steps behind and striker did a good job of of covering for him uh if he struggled with that match lucha underground is just balls to the wall action every single week especially in those opening matches a lot of the matches go a million miles an hour with a bunch of wacky dives I, i just don't think it'd be a good fit for jr not saying he would stink up the show or anything like that maybe he would surprise me Yeah, he'd give it a lot of credibility, that's for sure. You have Jim Ross announcing your wrestling show. You think Vince McMahon would be happy about that? I mean, that'd be a big deal. And that's, I'm sure, that's why they want him. Or wanted him. So I'm not doubting it would bring a a ton of credibility to the show. And it would be a positive for them in, in that way. But it would not have the same charm, I think, that it does now with Vampiro and Matt Stryker. Stryker and Vamp have created an identity for themselves. Like JR did once upon a time with King. It's the same thing here. There's no reason to break that up. But it concerns me that the producers are actively looking for somebody new to pair off uh, with Matt Stryker in season two. So Vampiro may be gone no matter what. That is, if they even have a season two, which is the other story. Uh, I believe they've been renewed. I, I did say last week or, or maybe a few weeks ago that they were renewed. I had read that they were renewed for a second season by El Rey, uh, which means that El Rey has the rights to it if there is a second season, but it sounds like they may have money issues. I would be legitimately depressed if they don't have the budget for a season two. You know, somebody needs to get a Kickstarter going to help fund another season of Lucha Underground. If Veronica fucking Mars can raise $5 million on Kickstarter for a movie, then, goddammit, we should all be able to chip in and get a second season of Lucha Underground. This week was the final match in the Best of Five series between Drago and Aerostar, with the winner receiving a unique opportunity from Dario Cueto. We started with uh, Dario Cueto finding Aerostar outside on the roof of the temple. Aerostar was just looking up at the cosmos, I guess. Try to find his home planet. Cueto said that while he looks up to the heavens for help, Drago looks down to hell. So this whole thing was a little hokey, but I I guess it fits the Aerostar character. Opening match was a Trios Tag Team Tournament match, pitting Prince Puma, Hernandez, and Johnny Mundo against King Cuerno, Tejano, and they call him Cage. That's how Melissa Santos introduces him. He's like the man they call Vader. Who is this they that they speak of? I've always wondered. Winner goes to the finals. This match was insane. Just nonstop action. I love this match. Fun, 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 fun. That's how I would describe the match in three words. Fun, fun, fun. Uh, Everybody should watch this. Watch this match and tell me that Jim Ross could keep up. (laughs) I think this match proves my point. Tejano nailed Puma behind the ref's back with the bull rope. And he stumbled backwards into King Cuerno, who delivered his thrill-of-the-hunt hunt brainbuster for the finish. Uh, that th- I'm not going to sit here and go spot-by-spot. Spot. I want you to watch the match. Find it online. As Matt Stryker once told us on TV, find it online. So go ahead and find it online. You don't have anything to worry about. And uh, at least watch the opening match of this show, because it was awesome. Afterwards, Dario Cueto came out of his office and said he wanted to give us a three-way match... Impromptu, involving one member from each of the remaining teams in the trios tournament. So the MAC represented the team of MAC, Big Rick, and Killshot. While Son of Havoc came out to represent the team of Havoc, Ivelisse, and Angelico. And uh, Cage stayed out there representing his team, so he ended up wrestling two matches in a row. This this match really uh, was a showcase for the MAC, who WWE passed on. Uh, actually, they wanted him. They got him. Something came up on his medicals, I would I would guess. And then they ended up not signing him. It was kind of like a Cesaro thing from many years ago where they, they got the guy. They brought him in. Something came up. I think with Cesaro at the time, it was a visa issue. And then they passed on him. And it was like, what the hell happened? You know, they they signed him, quote unquote. But I guess technically, you're not really officially signed until you pass your medicals. And that's what happened with the MAC. So there was clearly interest on WWE's part. He was going to be brought down to, to Florida, and then it just didn't work out. Uh, when you look at him, he's nothing to look at. He is absolutely not somebody I would ever think WWE would have an interest in based purely on his physique. So he must be a special performer if they did want him. Uh, he's very flabby. <laughs> uh, well, who among us, I guess, isn't, but he's really flabby. But as somebody who was not all that familiar with his work as, as Willie Mack on the Indies, yeah, I'd see a match here and there. Watching him here, the dude just shined. Uh, for somebody with that physique, carrying that extra weight to be moving around the way that he does, and doing the moves that he's able to pull off is amazing. I mean, the dude can move. He can go. Uh, they also showed Divari sitting ringside wearing a suit with a drink in hand. This... This was weird, because they never acknowledged who he was, even though we all knew. They never said who he was, but they would show him on camera every now and then, and Stryker would make a comment like, well, the stars are out tonight for Lucha Underground. He was such a big star, they never bothered telling us who he is. Cage got the win with Weapon X on Son of Havoc. There is video of him giving the move to Willie Mack, uh, I think on a PWG show. If you just type Cage Weapon X... Go ahead and type that into uh, into the Google, and it'll be the first thing that comes up. It looks impressive. It's an it's, it's an impressive looking move, but it's a lot of work for little reward. <laughs> That's how I would describe it. It is such a complicated move. It takes like it takes a year to set this freaking move up. Uh, even even with Son of Havoc, it took forever for him to get him set up for it. It just looks like a lot of effort for nothing. Uh, Cage is another one who is enormous. He is a large man, although he is the opposite of Flabby. I mean, he is the polar opposite of Flabby. He's like one giant walking muscle, uh, yet he can move around like a luchador, and he can do some pretty amazing things in the ring. I'm telling you, Lucha Underground has has a nice group of talent. Everybody brings something different to the table. A guy like Cage, you look at a guy like Cage, he looks like a big roided-up monster. And I'm not saying he is or he isn't. That's how he looks. When you see him work, he doesn't work like a big, roided-up monster. Like you would see back in the day in WWE. Those fucking guys couldn't wrestle worth a lick. This guy can go. Cage can, can wrestle. Willie Mac again, you look at him, not much to look at, but the guy can go. He is he is deceiving in that way. So they have a couple of guys like that. They've got all the, the Mexican luchadors who can do all the wacky dives all the crazy moves. They've got a bunch of guys that just their character <laughs> makes you uncomfortable. You know, I still say when Drago does that thing where that tongue, you know, comes out of his mouth and like, ugh, I don't know. It freaks me out. Pentagon, Pentagon Jr. He scares me. He's a scary dude. Okay? They've got all these different personalities. Uh, that that's one of the things I love so much about this show. But anyway, uh, this is turning into an infomercial now for Lucha Underground. We got another vignette building up the best of five finals. This time, Drago was in the men's room, and Dario Cueto came up behind him, I guess, after doing his business in one of the stalls. He was uh, washing his hands. He basically was just trying to stir some shit up between Drago and Aerostar, between two friends. Back in the ring, speaking of which, Pentagon Jr. was in the ring with ring announcer Melissa Santos. And she says, Pentagon would like me to tell everybody that he is dedicating his next sacrifice to his master. And as she went to leave the ring, Pentagon grabbed her. He started violently throwing her around. Threw her down on the mat. Uh, This was very uncomfortable. Very realistic. I said last week I'm no fan of man-on-woman violence in matches, like with the punching and the kicking and the slapping and the stomping. This was perfect, though, for what it was supposed to be. Vampiro refused to sit by and watch this go on he refused to sit by and watch Pentagon possibly break her arm he threw down his headset, got up out of his chair Sexy Star made the save before he could do anything and she dragged Melissa out of the ring to safety she then called Pentagon an asshole in Spanish, we got the subtitles she called him an asshole Pendejo right? is that how you say it? if I ever see Vince Russo I'll say hey Pendejo we'll see how he reacts So because Melissa Santos is still traumatized by what just happened, Dario Cueto stayed out there. He took over as ring announcer for the main event as the fans started giving him the what treatment. Stupid pendejos in that temple there. That's my new favorite word, by the way. That what chant, that is the absolute worst chant that has ever infected professional wrestling. By leaps and bounds. There is no comparison to anything else. If I had to make a list of the top three worst chants in all of wrestling, the what chant would be number one, two, and three. Bunch of freaking mutants. Anyway, we had uh, the finals. Drago and Aerostar for the unique opportunity. Aerostar did another one of those trust dives. This guy is out of his mind. He looked like a falling star the way they shot this. They used an overhead camera so when he... Uh, springboarded off the ropes, they switched to the overhead camera, and all you did was you just saw him fall. (laughs) It looked like he was falling out of the sky. Uh, It's such a dangerous move, though, you know. uh, Anyway, later in the match, Drago was laid out across a table that had been set up outside the ring. Aerostar did a suicide dive through the ropes, onto the table, and broke it, but he also overshot the distance on the jump and smashed himself face-first into the floor. So that looked like it sucked. Dario Cueto the whole time. Meanwhile, as this match is going on, this, this demolition derby here, he was watching all of the mayhem from ringside, loving every second of it. Big fat smile on his face from ear to ear. Drago got the win with his wacky roll-up cradle thingy that might have a name, but I don't know what it is. That's not the technical name of the move, in case you were wondering. Uh, another move that seems way too complicated, given the end result of it, was just a roll-up. I would have just rolled him up, grabbed a handful of tights, and pinned the fucker. But I'm a heel at heart, so that's just me. So Drago and Aerostar embraced after the match. All is well, again, between the two friends. They showed each other much respect. Dario Cueto got in the ring. Did he get in the ring? I don't remember. He got on the mic, I know that. He told Drago that his unique opportunity will be a shot at Prince Puma's Lucha Underground Championship. But there is a catch, of course. And the catch is that if he does not win, he is banned from the temple forever. I assume by that he means win the title, not just win the match, because they could easily get out of this by having Drago win by DQ because somebody interferes. But if it's the championship, I don't see Drago winning the championship, so I have a feeling Drago may be on his way out. But that was the show, Lucha Underground, another fine episode this week, and actually much better than NXT. Let's move on to the mailbag here. If you have questions for me, you can email me, thesalamonster at gmail.com. Please include your name and where you are from when you write in. We'll start with this one here. Jose from South Jersey. Is there any chance that if Daniel Bryan were to need surgery again while still holding the Intercontinental title, that WWE would put the championship on Randy Orton by default, since he is the only other guy who has been somewhat on top in WWE as long as John Cena? Any chance WWE gives us another Orton vs. Cena title unification? Oh, God. Oh, God, please don't say that. If not, who do you think would be a fitting replacement for Bryan if he were to go back on the shelf? Well, uh, Roman Reigns is going to feud with Seth Rollins, so he's out. Uh, Bray Wyatt, maybe, but the thing with Bray Wyatt, he doesn't need the Intercontinental title. Bray Wyatt really doesn't need a title, period. Uh, But he, he certainly does not need the Intercontinental title. I would say, why not Rob Van Damme? Last time we saw RVD, he was mostly just doing jobs for the newer guys. Uh, But he's got the credibility of being a former world champion. He comes back, ends up winning the Intercontinental title, which he's also held before. And they could proceed, if if the idea is to eventually build to a Cena-Brian match and Brian's out, they could just do the same thing with RVD and they can build to a Cena-RVD match at SummerSlam. You could build it up by reminding people of what happened the last time Cena and RVD had a big match, which was at One Night Stand. I think RVD would be a good choice. I, I would expect him to be back at some point. He's got this weird understanding or agreement with WWE where he, he's like on for three months, then he goes back on vacation, and when he's good and ready to come back, he calls Triple H and says, hey, I'm ready to come back. Maybe it's time they gave him a call and said, hey, we need you. And this is what we have in mind. Cause I think he'd be a good fit for, for you know the spot that Brian has. You gotta you gotta get a name guy in there if the idea is to keep building this championship up for a few more months. You can't just have Brian go away and drop it back to Bad News Barrett, because the guy's a fucking loser. I like Barrett, but he's a fucking loser. And putting the Intercontinental title back on him will not make him any less of a loser, it will just bring the IC title back down to the depths of hell. So they, they need somebody with some name value in there. It's not going to be Randy Orton. I don't see it being Randy Orton. But uh, if it's going to be RVD, if they were to go with that idea, they'd have to stop using him just to put other guys over, at least until SummerSlam. After that, you could job him out. <laughs> Unless he wins. But I would suspect that if it were Cena and RVD, Cena would probably win. Jay from Atlanta. With both the Izod Center in New Jersey and Nassau Coliseum on Long Island closing after the final Raw There on May twenty fifth. What are some of your favorite WWE shows from both venues? Good question. Izod Center used to be the Meadowlands, the old Meadowlands Arena. I would say probably SummerSlam eighty nine. SummerSlam eighty nine was at the Meadowlands, what would later become known as the Izod Center, Uh, and that was actually a pretty good SummerSlam. I, I even even having Brutus Beefcake and Zeus in that tag team main event, it was a hot main event, I mean, (laughs) say what you want to about some of those guys, but like Beefcake back then, Beefcake was over, Beefcake absolutely was taken care of by Hogan, that's the only reason he was even in that spot, but you can't say that, well, he was only there because of Hogan and the crowd crapped all over him, maybe today they would, but back then, Beefcake with that gimmick, he was one of the most over babyfaces on the whole roster, And Zeus, I thought, played his role fine. They had a hot main event. Uh, Warrior won the IC title back from Rick Rude on that show. I thought that was the best match they ever had together. So uh, I have fond memories of that pay-per-view. I would say SummerSlam 89. And also, my very first Raw that I ever went to was in July of 1998. I'll never forget it. I've talked about it before. July 13, 1998. I won tickets from a local radio station to go up in the luxury box. I got to meet Owen Hart. I got to meet Mick Foley. Uh, they had Mark Henry. I met him as well, Luna Vachon. Uh, and that was actually a pretty uh, important episode of Raw because that was the very first appearance that Shawn Michaels made on TV since WrestleMania 14. He actually came back and did commentary that night. And I think they had a tag team title change on that show as well. So that for that building, I would say those shows for me personally. And as far as uh, the Nassau Coliseum, oh, I mean, they've had... God hundreds of shows I mean maybe SummerSlam 2002 that was the uh, Rock vs Brock show and Shawn Michaels comeback against Triple H That's a pretty good show so I'll say I'll say SummerSlam 2002 Jay has another question if WWE ever does an ECW class for the WWE Hall of Fame one day which ECW guys would you include in that class well they wouldn't do that but if they did See the problem is a lot of those guys went on to do even bigger things. So to just induct them as you know the ECW guys, it just it wouldn't feel right. I think it would actually be somewhat disrespectful to do that. Uh, but you know Paul Heyman would have to lead that class. He should absolutely go And He was the puppet. He was the puppet master, right? He was the the grand wizard of uh, of ECW back in the day. Uh, Tommy Dreamer, Taz, RVD. Sabu, Raven, Shane Douglas, and the Dudleys. If you count the Dudleys as one induction, that's what, eight? Nine? I don't like having that many, but they've, they've done as many as nine. So you could have that as your ECW class. And I, I, I know I left out Sandman, but he's the odd man out. Him and New Jack are, are the odd men out here uh and of those honestly you could if you wanted to make room if the class was too big and you wanted to take a few guys out you could take out Heyman, uh rvd and the dudleys if you want to trim the class a little bit put those guys in another year because those guys accomplished a lot in wwe and it would be perfectly fine to induct them separately from any ecw class um Yeah, I think it would be wrong to just relegate somebody like Paul Heyman or the Dudley Boys just to an ECW class because of how much they accomplish post-ECW. Not even just in WWE, even though WWE won't acknowledge it. TNA, uh, maybe even in other promotions. Um, I'm trying to think here. Dudleys... Did the Dudleys ever win titles in Japan? I think they did. I'm pretty sure they did. Actually, I'm, I'm positive they did. So... Yeah, maybe you could take them out of that class And put them in separately Taran Garcha I was recently re-watching Breakdown 1998 on the WWE Network, I'm 16 years old But I remember a couple of years back I found an old video of it on the house And I watched it with my brother Do you think the triple threat match Between Rock, Mankind, and Ken Shamrock Is underrated? I found that all three men Especially Rock and Mankind Cut excellent promos before the match And I thought the finish was great Absolutely, I've spoken fondly of that match on this podcast before. It is one of my favorite three-way matches that WWE ever did. Uh, I would still say Rock, Angle, Undertaker for the Undisputed Title of Vengeance in 2002 is my favorite. But the Breakdown match is top five for me. Maybe top three as far as three-way matches. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Rock was just massively over on that show as a babyface. And and this was the first show after SummerSlam. The SummerSlam they did in Madison Square Garden that year. They had the Rock-Triple-H ladder match. Rock was the nation of domination guy. He was the heel. Triple-H and DX, they were the big babyfaces. This was only a month later. And the Rock, you would think he was bigger than Austin, the reaction he got when he came out. It was so quick. That, that turn uh, was so quick, but it was the people that turned him. He himself, they never did a babyface turn with him. It was the people effectively turned him. Uh, and he would make them feel foolish for that two months later. Alexis from Dallas, Texas. Let's go back in time a few years to 2011. CM Punk has won the WWE Championship against John Cena at Money in the Bank. He leaves with the championship. You've mentioned on previous SoundOffs that you would hold him off TV and make him defend the title in other promotions. You being in charge of WWE. How would you book CM Punk as the next big thing in the months ahead? So I I got this question from Alexis, and I get a lot of questions from people asking me to fantasy book, and I don't respond to a lot of them, or at least it takes me a while, because I get these questions, I just don't have time. I've had emails from people saying to me, I want to know, can you please list in explicit detail, I shit you not, that's what they said, in explicit detail as possible, how you would book WWE for the next 12 months if you were in charge, and what would your WrestleMania card look like? And I sit there and I, I look at this email, <laughs> uh, you know, it's like I want to cry. Like I would love to respond to this person, but I don't because I how can I sit here in, in, in five or ten minutes and answer a question like that? So I tend to hate these fantasy booking questions and just don't answer them. But this one I thought was kind of interesting because I have talked about this before. I said, listen, you know, this is what they should have done with Punk Man. They brought him back too soon, they should have done this, they should have done that. So because I've commented on it before, I figured, okay, I'll bite. So you're right. I would have kept him out a lot longer than they did. What did that last? Like a week? A week before they brought him back on television and the most exciting thing Punk did that whole week was put the belt in his refrigerator. They dropped the ball on that one. Don't even get me started on taking the hottest guy in wrestling at the time and randomly inserting him into a feud with the part-time Triple H and having Triple H beat him on pay-per-view. Okay? I gave this a little more thought since I got the question. Here's what I would do. And I realize some of this is pie in the sky and not how WWE operates. But if I were in charge, right? That was the question. Not Vince McMahon. If the Sala Monster were in charge, I would have no problem doing it this way. You keep him off TV for a few months. Now, what do you mean by a few months? That could be two months. It could be four months. I mean, I wouldn't want to keep him off TV. Four months is probably maybe a little a little long. But somewhere in that two to four month range. I think would be a good amount of time to just keep him off television and really try to sell this as legit. He is not of a contract. He's got the title held hostage, and he's off doing his thing. Now, you you can't have the company file a a legitimate lawsuit in court. You're not going to use the court system for a work uh, if they want to, you know, get their property back. But maybe you can have the company sending out legal threats to him or something like that, that, you know, TMZ picks up on, they, they feed it to TMZ or something. Make it a little more realistic. Go the extra mile. Put a little bit of effort into this. So you keep him out about that long, right? Go ahead and let John Cena or whoever win the WWE championship like they did in a tournament. Crown a new champion. You let Punk go around and, you know, he's doing Comic-Con like he did that one time and other little events. Carry the title around with him to some of them. Go to Cubs games, whatever. You broker a deal, secretly, behind the scenes, back channels. You broker a deal for him to go to Japan and maybe wrestle a match, one match, in New Japan Pro Wrestling. You do the same thing with Ring of Honor, both promotions that he name-dropped in his infamous pipe bomb promo, by the way. So there's actually some consistency there. I know, I'm really going into fantasy with this one, but again, I'm in charge, not them. So consistency is a good thing let him do some indie shots if he wants to have him show up to a few wwe shows with a ticket in hand maybe have vince have him thrown out for causing a disturbance at some point the replacement champion john cena starts challenging punk to show up and fight he's tired of seeing vince mcmahon throwing punk out of these buildings you know Cena, cena of course sides with Punk, you know, Vince is being evil what are you doing Vince, this guy bought his ticket he's got a right to be here, but you know Cena's getting tired of this, he's getting tired of seeing Punk get thrown out, he's getting tired of Punk making comments in the media and online about how Cena's a paper champion, everybody knows I'm the real champion he's the phony and so John Cena challenges Punk to show up like a man and go face to face with him, stand face to face with him in the ring so they could have it out, so they could talk like two men and eventually Punk does. Punk shows up. Cena begs Vince to let him in. This all ends up leading to a non-sanctioned match. Since we're supposed to believe that Punk is not under contract anymore to the company. They have a match. Maybe it's Survivor Series, let's say. okay, It's a fairly even match. Vince McMahon saunters down to the ring to get a close-up view of the action. Cena, Punk, both of them not happy to see Vince come out. Punk has Cena up for a GTS later on. Let's say he nails the move. Cena's out cold. Victory is well in hand for CM Punk. When Vince McMahon, he interferes. Or he sends some goons into the ring to do the interfering for him. Either way. Punk fights back. Punk's distracted. That's when you lower the boom. And you have John Cena clobber Punk with the championship belt. The belt that Vince himself slides into the ring. And Cena gets the win. And then after the match, John Cena and Vince McMahon, they embrace. You have a freshly minted heel turn now for John Cena that people have been begging for for years. Even in 2011, they were begging for it for years. And Punk's future now, very much in doubt. He only came back for this one non-sanctioned match. He's not under contract, so now everybody thinks that. That's it. Punk's done. As far as how you go about bringing him back... You can find your way around that very easily. Punk simply shows up the next night, You know, maybe even for a few weeks. He shows up unannounced and unwelcome, uh, trying to get back at Vince, trying to get back at John Cena. He wants them so bad, Vince McMahon says, fine. You know, Vince is fed up with this. He says, fine, you want John Cena, you can have him. But you need to sign on the dotted line first. And Punk could agree to a new deal simply as a way to get back at Cena and take back the championship. Because you know, part of the goal here should be to get that title over as the most important thing in the world. Now, if you don't want to do that, you could do a deal maybe where um, you know, there's, t- there's tension that's been building for a long time between Triple H and Vince McMahon. And this was a storyline that was rumored, by the way, for WrestleMania like a couple of years, maybe WrestleMania 30, actually, last year. They were going to do a power struggle with Triple H and Stephanie against Vince, and Vince was going to bring in Steve Austin for a match with Triple H at Mania for control of the company. I do believe that was an idea that was on the books, but Austin didn't want to do it, and then the whole thing fell apart. So it's not a stretch to think that they would want to do that storyline. You build tension between the Triple H camp and the Vince camp. And of all people, it ends up being Triple H, who signs Punk to a new deal. Shane McMahon did that once. Late 98, Shane McMahon, unbeknownst to Vince, signed Steve Austin to a brand new five-year contract. So it's not like they can't do a story like that. They've done it before. (laughs) You know, they did it, God, almost, almost 20 years ago now. God, that makes me sad. Think of all that Attitude Era stuff. It's almost 20 years. We're not quite there yet, but we're well on our way to 20 years since that era. That is just frightening. But anyway, there's a lot of different ways you could go with this. That's just one. Actually, that's two that I just named. And yes, it is very similar to the Austin Rock stuff in late 98. But I think it would work, and I think it would help cement Punk as a true top guy in that company. Uh, Not just the guy with a belt still playing second fiddle to John Cena. The whole time Punk was there, and the whole time Punk was on top, 2011, 2012, 2013, he was never truly the top guy, and he never was going to be as long as John Cena was there. And then Daniel Bryan got hot, and so Punk was almost like number three at that point. He was never, ever truly looked at as the top guy. Until he turned heel in the summer of 2012, he was having what I would call a Chris Jericho run as champion. Now, the key is, though, you don't replace John Cena as the top babyface unless you have somebody strong enough to take that spot. You don't turn him heel unless you've got a backup plan. There have been very few guys over the years that you could look at and say, hey, this guy, this guy right here, he could be the one to replace John Cena. CM Punk may have been the first. Daniel Bryan was another, but they came up with every excuse in the world not to put him in that role. They didn't even want to put the belt on him. Uh, You know, he's got no ambition. He's too small. He looks like a goat. You know, with Punk, there were times that his merchandise was supposedly outselling John Cena's. How many times has that happened over the years? Not very often. So it's not like the appeal wasn't there. They just never had the balls to go all the way with it. But what if they did? What if they really went all the way with this to convince you that Punk really was gone from the company? And then bring him back to have him feud with WWE's poster child for everything the hardcore fan base hates about wrestling these days. That's a money feud right there. And then you can carry Cena and Punk for months after that. And even then, John Cena would have a fresh slate of babyface opponents as a heel that he could step in there with. I mean, Cena would be taken care of for at least the next year. And you would have Punk on top as the number one babyface. So, that's how I would have done it. Again, we can tweak that. This is just some ideas I came up with and I kind of put it all together. Uh, but that's how I would have approached it. I would have approached it very differently than they did. Ray from Fort Worth, Texas. I've been watching WCW matches on the network, and I'm remembering how they did not do replays during the match. To me, this takes away from the match and doesn't emphasize what's going on. What do you think? Also, it always seemed like Nick Patrick raised up wrestlers' shoulders when he was counting on two counts. This always annoyed me. Am I imagining this? I think what Nick Patrick was doing, I think he was just checking to make sure the guy's shoulders were on the mat, but I'd have to go back and see exactly what you're talking about. But just based on your description though, I would imagine that's probably what he was doing. Uh, I always found the way that he slapped the mat to be more annoying than anything else. That always bugged me. Uh, as far as the lack of in-match replays, you know, taking away from the matches in WCW, I think just the opposite. You know, WWE will do a replay after every single major or semi-major move in a match you know you get kicked in the head immediately replay but then they'll show it to you like there's action going on live in the ring as we speak but it's hard to see because they've shrunk it down to a tiny little box (laughs) so in the other box they can show us a replay of somebody getting kicked in the head from five different camera angles it's like i don't care about that the guy's about to get pinned zoom in zoom in Yeah, the way WCW used to do it, they would show replays of the big moves after the match was over. I never had a problem with that. You know, replays during matches tend to take, you know, more people out of it, I would think, than not doing them at all. And we'll do one more here. Martin from Wexford, Ireland. Let's say WCW never existed, thus meaning the Monday Night War never happened. What do you think would be the current state of professional wrestling in North America? The reason I ask is because I have been doing a project for college on the Monday Night War and was shocked to see how bad the state of WWE was in the mid-90s, both creatively and financially. WCW's arrival may have nearly killed WWE early on, but I believe their rivalry brought out the best in Vince McMahon creatively, as well as the best out of the talent that was working for him. Would WWE be the household name it is today without the Monday Night War? It would be the household name, I mean, if WCW didn't exist at all, it would be a household name just because that's what... People know. When they hear wrestling, they immediately think WWF. Some people still think of the WWF initials. They think of WWF, WWE. Oh, that's Vince McMahon's company, right? So, yeah, it would be a household name. And, you know, the question is, would they exist anymore? I don't know that they would. I think the state of professional wrestling would be pretty sad right now. uh, As far as, like, overall business and and, like, health and how it would be doing. I think it would be bad times, I really do. I mean, there's a lot of negative you could point to uh caused by that whole era hot shotting, you know giving shit away for free on television. It's all about ratings, 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 and yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of negative i think uh kind of habits that came out of that era, but it also just launched wrestling into the stratosphere. it brought in a lot of new fans. And I think it what it did was it put WWE on this this path that even with the tough times they've had in like the last let's say five eight years whatever business has gone up and down and, and they've had bad periods of business they did so well for themselves in those earlier years they could sustain those losses like they're they're healthy largely because they set themselves up for that many many years ago I think people would be shocked to find out how close WWE was to bankruptcy in 1997. They were this close. And what actually turned the company around, believe it or not, the one thing that really first started to turn the company around in 97, to go from a company that according to Vince McMahon, hey Brett, we can't afford to pay you on your contract, you're free and clear to negotiate with Ted Turner and Eric Bischoff, all of a sudden to Vince McMahon going back to Brett and saying, hey Things have changed, and now I could afford to pay you, even though Brett had already made the deal with WCW. So what caused that that quick shift in 97? It was uh, upping the price of their pay-per-views. In Your House went to three hours. I think it was still two hours up until the summer of 97. Following WCW's lead, they made all of their pay-per-views three hours, and they jacked up the price. Those In Your House shows were a lot cheaper than say SummerSlam, WrestleMania, King of the Ring. So now all the pay-per-views were equal. They were all the same length. They were all the same price. I think it went from it might have been like fourteen ninety-five to twenty-nine ninety-five, uh, or nineteen ninety-five to twenty-nine ninety-five. Whatever the, the the price jump was, that's what did it. So it wasn't a case where oh they're upping their pay-per-view prices and so it's gonna cut their buys in half. No, all that happened is more people bought the shows because the product started to get hot. The price change didn't it it didn't really chase anybody away at all. They had more people buying the shows and at a higher price. So now when they get their cut of the pay-per-view money back, they get a much bigger pot. And that's what started to turn things around for them. And then of course Austin took off and the McMahon Heel character took off and Mike Tyson. I mean there were a lot of things. It was like this perfect storm of things that happened. Um But they were very, very close. I mean, they were in in dire straits in 1997. I think Vince said he either had to take out a loan or he was close. I think he did. I think Vince had to take out a loan, but he was very close to declaring bankruptcy that year. If WWE goes bankrupt, I mean, everything changes. The whole business, everything, it changes history. Why didn't it happen uh, besides what I just talked about? It was that Monday Night War period. It was that competition that they created between the two brands. I can only imagine creatively the 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 ideas that Vince McMahon would have come up with. Were he not in a position where he had Eric Bischoff breathing down his throat and embarrassing him every single week and giving away the results of his tape shows and all the shit that Eric did to Vince that pissed off Vince McMahon. Look at creatively where that company was in nineteen ninety-five with the fucking goon and T. L. Hopper and Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. and all of these shitty gimmicks. And just oh my god, it was awful. They had some talented guys, but just awful. Awful, awful, awful creative that year. What would the company look like in ninety seven and ninety eight if, if WCW wasn't there to light a fire under their ass, right? So that that also, I mean, that was the biggest reason why WWF started turning things around. They were threatened. And that's when they said, all right, we're going to push the envelope. You guys want to go out there and do crotch chops and show your bare naked ass on TV and we'll have women wearing, you know, nothing but uh, pasties on their tits. And all the stuff that they did, it all stemmed from WCW kicking their ass. I think that's what WWE needs now. They need somebody to just kick them in their ass. Big time. And there really isn't anybody out there that's anywhere close to being in that position. I mean, as much as I love Lucha Underground, they're having their own money problems. They have like 30,000 people watching them every week on El Rey. TNA has never, will never be in that position. It's just not going to happen. Ring of Honor. I mean, there's nobody on the horizon that has the kind of muscle and money behind them like WCW did. And it's not just money. You could have all the money in the world. But WCW had good television as well. And they don't have anybody like that now that could really threaten Vince, and say, "Hey, f you! Look what we're doing over here." And I think that's one of the biggest uh, shames about WCW going out of business. Even though they deserve to, it's one of the biggest shames. It wasn't just that a bunch of people lost their jobs. It was look at where we are today. Even at their best, when WWE's on fire and they have some good television, and they or you know. Uh, whatever, this guy's really over. It's just, it's not how it should be. It should be a lot better than it is. So I know I went a little off point there, so I apologize. Uh, But where would North American pro wrestling be? Not nearly as strong as it is now. It's actually pretty strong. I mean, WWE, even though they're not where they probably should be, they're doing big business. And a lot of these independent promotions are doing really well. I mean, you look at like the attendance when, when they're reported in the newsletters and the different websites. I mean, they're packing houses. Tommy Dreamer's doing really well with his house of hardcore. Uh, I'm, I'm talking indies that don't even necessarily have TV the way that Ring of Honor does. I mean, everybody seems to be doing pretty well these days uh, in the North American scene. That's not even counting AAA in Mexico and New Japan. That's doing pretty well. But it would be a very different story, I think, if um, if that had happened and if WCW didn't exist, or you know, even if they existed but they just didn't catch on. It was the whole NWO thing that caused them to catch on. What if there was no NWO? What if they just didn't catch on and WCW just kept being a distant number two to WWE? It would have been the same thing. Eventually, WCW would have been canceled, and WWF would have been in deep shit and uh, they, they probably would have gone out of business. I mean, just looking at their financial situation, I think it was a very real possibility. You can send your questions to me at thesalamonster at gmail.com. That is the official email address. Follow me on Twitter at Salamonster. We are still uh, closing in on 10,000 followers. Maybe we can uh, break past that this week. So if you're not following me already, now's a good time to do so at Salamonster. Facebook.com slash TheSalaMonster is the official profile page. We also have a fan page that you should like if you haven't already done so. Hit the like button on there. And we have a private discussion group. You have to apply for membership. I will approve you. Just type in Solomonster Sounds off in the search bar on Facebook. All those things will come up. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. I do have to uh, get some new content up there. It's been a while. Obviously, there's been some stuff personally that's happened recently that's taken my mind off that. But there will be new content going up soon. If you haven't already subscribed, subscribe on there as well. YouTube.com slash TheSalaMonster is my username. That's the channel. You can hit the subscribe button from there. And keep supporting the podcast. Keep spreading the word. Keep letting people know about it. You can make a PayPal donation on TheSalaMonster.com. You can use our Audible link. Again, just punching in the URL isn't enough. You've got to sign up from there. And you can cash in your free audiobook, audibletrial.com slash Salamonster. Buy a shirt, prowrestlingtees.com slash Salamonster sounds off. is the official store, up to 5XL on all of our shirts, and they ship all over the world, no matter where you are listening to this right now. I'm pretty sure you can get a T-shirt. Maybe there is some rogue country out there that uh, they don't ship to, but to my knowledge, they pretty much ship everywhere. So head on over to prowrestlingtees.com and check that out as well we will be back with a brand new podcast uh next weekend that'll be episode 380 i am uh, finally making the trip out to pennsylvania this week to get into my dad's home uh he's been living in pennsylvania for the last eh, two and a half years three years maybe and uh that's where he was not just the accident i mean that's where he lived as well and uh It's going to be a month. I I can't believe that it's been that long, but it's going to be a month this upcoming week since he he died. And I haven't even been able to find a way into his home in that entire time since there is an evil towing company holding his house key hostage unless they are paid. So I have found another way. I will be making the four-and-a-half-hour road trip on Wednesday making the drive back on Thursday to New York at least that's the plan it keeps getting pushed back but i'm i'm bound and determined not to let this carry on any longer uh, there's still a lot of unanswered questions especially when it comes to the actual uh, the, the home <laughs> the home itself and now i have to play detective and just see what kind of paperwork i can find inside i've never actually been there before it's like in the it's in some kind of mobile home community in the middle of freaking nowhere deep in pennsylvania i mean from here in new york to like philly that's nothing that's like a 90 minute drive but to where he is it's just in the middle of nowhere just hours away uh so wish me luck that's not going to be a fun day for me for a lot of different reasons on wednesday but it has to be done but uh, we should be okay for a show next weekend it'll be episode 380 so until then be well stay safe Thank you for all of your support. It is very much appreciated. And we will see you right back here next weekend for more Sound Off. Until then, take care, guys.
3: The good. The bad. And the ugly. The monster sounds off.
1: Jonathan writes in, Sheamus and Dean Ambrose don't defend their U.S. title for weeks and how the titles mean shit. Let me school you, son. There's a big difference now, today, between the world title and the secondary titles. WWE has done a horrendous job. So they lose and they lose and they lose. And soon enough, people look at them as losers who happen to carry around a belt. That's not how you make your title seem important. Your champion should look strong. So now that I shot down your argument there, if Brock comes back and defends the title at Survivor Series, and then again at the Rumble, and again at Mania, the world will not end. Business will not die. But I guarantee you, those Brock Lesnar title defenses are going to be must-see TV when they happen. So, eat your sour grapes and just relax. The
3: SoloMonster sounds off.
1: Since 2007, on the
3: thesolomonster.com, Stitcher Radio, and iTunes. Solo
2: Monster sound off.